Wrestling fans, if you're listening to this, you are listening to the latest episode of the Wrestling Time Machine podcast. You can follow the show on Twitter at WrestleTimMock, that's W-R-E-S-T-L-T-I-M-M-A-C-H. You can also email the show at Machine at gmail.com. We also have a Kofi. You can check out the Kofi at ko-fi.com forward slash the wrestling time machine. So please check us out. Leith, where can people find you? For all wrestling related content, I am on Instagram at cat the only, um, all one word there. And for more artistic endeavors, <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Poppy Sunbird. It's P O P P Y S U N B I R D. Um, I also have a link to my art related Kofi there. Um, it is my pinned tweet. And uh, Bobby, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Space King Bobby. You can also find me on Tumblr at Space King Bobby's blog. And don't forget to check out the other cool shows that we do at nerdfixstrangers.com forward slash listen, including Nerdfix Strangers and Pokemon Mind and Body. And I think with that, I think we can start the show. Welcome, wrestling fans, to the latest episode of the Wrestling Time Machine podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Bobby Fisher, and joining me on the line, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Miss Leith Gray. Hello, everyone. Hello. It's been a minute. Yeah, not, uh, not so bad this time, I don't think. <laughs> we, stuff has been very... Chaotic? Chaotic and crazy, but we're back. <laughs> We're doing January 1996, and this episode, of course, is all about World Championship Wrestling 1996. Before we dive too deep into talking about that, Leith, how have you been? What have you been up to lately? Oh, I've been fine, just hanging outside, reading lots of books, trying to get in shape, um, looking for opportunities to maybe get back in the ring a little bit myself. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I know the the pandemic kind of put the kibosh on that. It did very I, very badly. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I am sorry about that. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully you do get the the chance to uh, get back into the ring, uh, and you know do some training and and have some fun. Have you been? Yeah. Have you still been doing your toy collecting? Uh. Yes. I've narrowed it down a bit because there's just there's so much stuff in this house so yeah i'm I'm focused mostly on like mythic legions 
Okay. Which is like the the toy line from the uh, that's all very customizable. You get like ogres and goblins and they have knights and you can kind of change up everything armor and swords and stuff yeah i come across that a lot at some of the different toy shows that i go to here in ohio they they are fabulous they're very they're a very small company Mm -hmm. because it was just like a couple guys that started it but like their sculpts and stuff are amazing and it's like and it's very like high fantasy based too yeah and they like kind of seem to encourage people to to go out and you know do extras and customize stuff. Like we've gotten capes and stuff from different companies that were creating stuff just for the Mythic Legions lines, and it's it's neat. It's a neat little like uh, yeah project, I guess you would say, because it's like there's so many people that do like really crazy customizations for it. I I think my favorite part is when they do characters that are very similar to, but legally distinct from better known yes. characters. <laughs> like there's, there's a character who is definitely not Moss man from He-Man and masters of the universe. Yeah, they've, they've done a lot of the, a, a loving homage to all the, the Motu characters. Yeah. I have quite a few of those. Cause I have the, I mean, I, you guys know I have my original like Motu collection. So, I had to get some of the the yeah. Mythic Legions versions. <laughs> there, there's also a character who is very much definitely not Stinkor. That one Masters is my of... favorite. I love that one. I had to yeah. get that immediately. I pre-ordered it and everything. So I'm like, I need I need the Stinkor because that's uh, that particular sculpt is one of my favorites, and they've only used it once before. <laughs> so I'm like, I need it. I need to have it. That so... and the moose. There's a giant moose coming out that you can ride like the mythic legions can fit on it's like a mount but it's a moose so i'm like i have to get that like how do you not have a moose yeah, mount that's that's pretty cool <laughs> Lith, do you consider yourself somebody who's who's pretty into high fantasy oh i would say so <laughs> yeah. yeah i know yeah, i know like I you're mean, big like have... he-man fan yeah it's not like i i have like elf cosplays or anything <laughs> I don't go to Ren Fair dressed like an elf. I don't have a book of magic spells I'm creating. <laughs> you would you wouldn't do that, no. No, never. Yeah, you know, speaking of uh He Man and the Masters of the Universe, at uh one of the last toy shows I went to a few weeks ago, I managed to pick up the uh the Randy Savage WWE Masters of the Universe oh, figure. Oh nice. And picked <laughs> it up for a steal. I found it for only like twenty dollars when that usually goes for a lot more than that that's awesome yeah which i think is such a fun concept for a line and i really wish they would do more with that yeah they had um they had like a whole ring and everything that you could get to to so your mochu characters could fight your favorite wwe superstars yeah and I, i loved how easily some of it married to like like he-Man and the Masters of the Universe stuff, like making the Undertaker like a scare glow type character that glows yeah. in the dark and everything. Like that's that's so great. I think I think one of the lazier designs is the Kane one because it's just it's just Kane. <laughs> it's not like there's no like there's nothing different about him. It's just you know like Attitude Era Kane. That's it. 
They just felt he could, uh, you know, fit into that universe, I guess. Yeah. But, like... Uh, he's he's fine as he is. Yeah. But so many of the other ones are, are so cool. Like, I love, I love the Sting one. I love... I think they did a Bray Wyatt one, too. Uh, and it was just, again, it's such a cool idea for a line and it's like if there if there had been an actual like like cartoon for this oh (laughs) i'd have been all about that that would have been a cool crossover right um now leith being somebody who's into fantasy do you do like the tabletop games like the D D or say like uh the mmos like world of warcraft or everquest or anything I've done several. <laughs> yeah, really. I've done I've done D and D. I've done Pathfinder. I've done like Elder Scrolls Online. I played original WoW like way back when, like vanilla. Mm-hmm. Up until was it Burning Crusades? I think I stopped. I didn't like the um, atmosphere in WoW mm. because people were not so nice <laughs> if you didn't know exactly how to fight yeah. bosses and stuff. There was no patience with those people, and it was all numbers, 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 and I'm just like, I kind of just want to, like, play and explore, so I got out of that. Like, I I think one of the more demanding roles in any kind of, like, MMO, I I think this is also true in tabletop, but I think it's, um, I think it's easier in tabletop as compared to, like, an actual video game, but, like, I think one of the more challenging roles is being a healer. Oh, yeah, it can be. I actually, yeah. um, when I played WoW, I found it easier to be a healer, but at that time, my computer did not run very well, so, like, a lot <laughs> of this times, so I was, like, I kept getting yelled at for, like, they're, like, Stay, like get out of the purple stuff, and I'm, like, what purple stuff? Like, my the graphics did not even show it. Aww. So I was, like, standing in, like, this, like, AOE stuff, and I'm just, like, I literally can't see it, and I keep getting yelled at for it. Yeah. So I just, like, I stood back and played a healer because I just, like, graphically, I that was the easiest to do. Yeah. Like, for me, when it comes, and I, and I think what makes it harder in, say, like, a video game setting is because it's not, like, turn-based, usually. So it's it can be very frenetic, very frantic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you and, have to really, like, keep track of everybody yeah. and make sure, like, you want to keep your like your tank up, especially. Yeah, that's that's the big one. And um, that's that's usually a role ugh. like I'm better at is either tanking or like DPS. Like yeah, DPS is probably the the easiest overall because yeah. it's just like you just damage, 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 damage. Yeah, it's like I I I am a weapon. Point me somewhere and tell me to hit a thing. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I always preferred like uh anything that i could do that was like long distance yeah like i didn't like to be up close to the the bosses and stuff i hate it doing dungeons mm. overall like i just hated them yeah i that's actually what took me out of final fantasy 14 is i just the forced dungeons mm-hmm. i'm like i don't want to work with people and be stuck in a dungeon what is like because it's like a, if something happens and i have to like leave the dungeon like i can't leave yeah. So it's like I don't have the time for this right now. <laughs> I think it doesn't it doesn't suit my lifestyle to yeah. be stuck in a dungeon. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> I like a lot of WoW's aesthetic and yeah. and everything. Oh, the, when they added the goblins, I was so happy. <laughs> right? I love goblins. But like what what pulls me out a lot of what like what as far as like 
kind of like pulls me out of wow is like when it gets into like cosmic space stuff and it's like oh, okay and it's like that's i don't need to know that like basically every race in this game is an alien race from a different planet that's not i'm i'm playing because i want to play high fantasy and that doesn't feel right. like high fantasy that feels like science fiction and i know there's a lot of a lot of crossover there but like that's mm, that doesn't i mm, it's taking me out you know right, <laughs> like that's why i right. typically like when i when i have played wow in the past like i typically stick away from like the drain eye like i am just not a fan of gotcha. it gotcha yeah i can understand that but like goblins Yes. Gnomes. Oh, the goblins are so fun. Oh gnomes, gosh. yes. Dwarves, yes. Um, I don't know if you had played in the last couple years at all, but they introduced no. um, what they call, like, allied races, which are, like, these unlockable races that uh, you can, uh, well, just that, unlock throughout playing the game and then play as. And one of them is a subrace of gnomes called Mecha Gnomes, which are gnomes with all these, like, steampunk robotic parts and everything. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, and uh, here lately, uh, I have really gotten into Critical Role. Um, I've, I've heard a lot about it. I have not ventured down that road. <laughs> so it was something that a lot of people around me, kind of in my circle, were really into for a really long time. And I tried to, like, sit... There, there was a time a couple years ago I tried to sit and watch, like, uh, the first episode on YouTube... And I had a lot of trouble trying to sit and watch it because everybody kind of sounded the same. And oh. that made it very hard to, like, differentiate who was who. But uh, here recently, within the last um, last couple months, I watched the uh, Amazon series. Okay. Uh, the Legend of Vox Machina, which, if you're into high fantasy, Leith and... I mean, you and I seem to have a pretty similar sense of humor and everything. I would really recommend the Amazon series as like a jumping on point. Gotcha. It's it's a lot of fun. It's really well done. The the actual like fantasy elements are really good. The actual comedy in it is really good. It's it's a lot of fun. And then like since I finished the Amazon series, I've actually dove into the podcast really hardcore and I'm working my way through campaign one, which is all the way back in 2017. So I have a lot to like work through. <laughs> um, and that kind of, I guess like segues us into what uh, I've been doing lately. I have been, um, like I said, doing that. I have also been working on writing my, uh, my comics here and there. And also, um, working on some original wrestling characters for an EFED um, that I'm going to get started uh, with Fire Pro. And I think I've, I've told you a little bit about it and everything. Right. Um, but I've been having a lot of fun coming up with just uh, some very fun characters. Right now I am working on a uh, face tag team called Fury Inc. That is... Very much like an homage to, uh, you know, someone who we're going to talk about today, the Legion of Doom. And nice. I've been working on that. Um, the uh, the first member is a guy by the name of Road Rage, who um, looks like this evil, like, tow truck driver. 
and I I am just having a lot of fun with that. And uh, hopefully once I once I kind of like get that off the ground, I can do some streaming with that. That's kind of like the long term goal with it. Uh, and I think that would be a lot of fun. And other than that, I have been working on my uh, DVD collection as well and uh, doing some toy collecting myself. So I know, like you said, uh, you have been like, let's face it, when you live on your own, whether it's an apartment or a house, space is a premium, right? Right. And at some point you kind of have to narrow down like what you're going to collect. Yeah, it gets it gets tough, especially when there's like, like, I have two other people here that are also yeah. collectors, <laughs> so it's like, uh, there's only so much. Yeah. So I, I try to, you know, like, I encourage the child to, to collect things I would also like to look at. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, like, oh, you really want to get into Littlest Pet Shop from, like, the 90s. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. And come on, don't you like Masters of the Universe? I'm pretty sure you'll like Masters of the Universe. She, she actually went to uh, the... I think it was the last ToyCon we went to. She wanted to get some of her own Motu figures. So we we let her pick out some that were, like, a little more beat up, a little cheaper. Because yeah. then she could, like, really play with them. Oh, yeah. And it wouldn't yeah. be, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Kids she, are... she had to get some. And Kids... she has some Mythic Legions as well. She gets yeah. all the animal people. <laughs> Kids at her age aren't really into collecting so much as they are actually playing. Which is, I mean, who doesn't yeah, actually love playing? She's actually super into customizing. Oh, really? So we go to the Dollar Tree a lot to buy just, like, cheap toys that she can just paint up and redo however she wants. And she just goes, like, crazy with that because she likes making stuff that she can't buy, basically. It's like she wants it to be, like creepy or cool or <laughs> like we, you give her a tub of model magic and she'll come out with an entire toy line that's, like her her goal is to work for mattel that is that, that's that's where she's headed right now <laughs> that is amazing yeah um, she, she loves loves all that stuff yeah but uh i've i've been doing some toy collecting myself i've recently gotten into um batman the animated series toys oh nice those are really good yeah. If I remember um, correctly, I had a few. I think I still have them. I I mean, obviously, like, growing up as a huge Batman the Animated Series fan. Right. That show was and great at the time. I don't. I haven't watched it since, so yeah. I don't know if it holds up. <laughs> and um, last year for my birthday, we went down to a toy, sh- uh, a toy store, and I picked up, like, a uh, Batman the Animated Series uh, figure of... The Creeper, who's one of my, like, kind of favorite characters in DC as far as, like, Mm. visuals and just kind of powers. And, yeah, like, he has, like, I think an episode or two in the new Batman adventures where the art style gets slimmed down a lot more and gets closer to what um, a lot of people kind of associate with that Bruce Timm aesthetic that you see, like, that you'll see, like, in Justice League and everything, right? Right. Um, So I picked that up, and it's like, well... I guess I'm collecting these now. (laughs) And so I kind of started and I put together, you know, like a list. Because I think when you, like, you decide to get into a toy line, especially something as big as, like, Batman the Animated Series, it's, I think, important to kind of, like, come up with a list of what you're you're actually going to want. So you don't, like, waste time and energy 
on the other stuff because it's like that toy line is massive. Mm-hmm. I don't want or need everything in that entire toy line. Yeah, that's how I feel with like Masters of the Universe because it's yeah. like absurd the amount of stuff that's in that line. <laughs> yeah, it's like I want the core characters mm-hmm. and like the actual like default kind of appearances of the characters, right? It's like I don't need like sewer camo Batman. I just want regular Batman. Mm-hmm. And those ones are actually very expensive and very hard to find because they only produced very few of them, right? Everything else was kind of like variants for at least Batman and Robin. Uh and then like the core like villains and again maybe some like play sets like the Batcave and then some of the actual like vehicles and stuff. And um, right now I've actually got a pretty decent collection. Um, I picked up, uh, again, at that same toy show where I got the Randy Savage figure, I picked up the, uh, I think it's called, like, Action Belt Batman or something like that. But it's basically, like, default regular Batman the Animated Series Batman. He comes with, like, some handcuffs and, like, a grappling hook and, like, a real cloth cape and everything, which is really cool, right? Uh, but like, this was also released in the very first wave of the line. And so that figure goes for like easy three to $400 on card. Oh, wow. And I picked it up for like 200, 250, I think, which, I mean, that's still a lot of money, but at the same time, it's like, that was probably going to be my only chance to find one on card. Yeah. And, like, I want to get them on card because I want to have the accessories and I want to do stuff like eventually open them and play with them or display them. And then I'm also working on kind of like the newer Batman the Animated Series stuff, the stuff that's coming out from, like, DC Collectibles, the really, like, newer, like, high-end, highly articulated figures that they've Mm -hmm. been doing. And I've got, like, I got a five-pack a couple months ago that has Harley, Poison Ivy... Livewire, Supergirl, and Batgirl. Uh, so I was pretty happy to get that. So yeah, it's been it's been a crazy couple weeks and months, and we've been sitting here talking about what we've been up to. But that's not really why we're here. I mean, not the only reason, anyway. We're we're going to be talking about wrestling. Yep, and I I think all this high fantasy and comic love kind of ties into the wackiness that is WCW. <laughs> yeah, especially right now, because <laughs> yes or no, the Dungeon of Doom absolutely fits like a Masters of the Universe aesthetic. Oh my god, yeah. 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 Um, I, w- I would clutch figures of them in like the Masters of the Universe like line. And style, just, like, yeah. Yeah, that would be amazing. Like, like give me, give me a like Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan with like glow-in-the-dark eyebrow lightning bolts. Right. <laughs> My God, that would be that would be amazing. Like, do a build a figure like the giant. I feel like Stinkor and and uh, uh, oh my gosh, not Brutus the Barber Beefcake, but his Zodiac Zodiac would get along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they could give him some patchouli stink too, or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what Zodiac does. He just kind of exists. <laughs> he just he just says yes and no a lot. But I mean that that would be a lot of fun. You could have like uh like uh the shark and Clawful 
right? Is that his name? The lobster guy? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, uh, they, a, they, they fit so well. It's they really just, do. Like, you, you can kind of tell, like, the, the cartoony influence there. Yeah. And it's like the, the Dungeon of Doom gets a bad rap, but really it's... I mean, at this point, looking back 30 years, like, with hindsight and everything, it's fun. Like, it is. It's, Especially, like, the earlier stuff with, like, all the ridiculous, like, yeah. promos in the cave. Oh, it's like, hilarious. Is it bad? Absolutely it is. Is it fun? It, you bet. Yes. <laughs> it's bad in, like, a good way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad in that Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of way. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's just, it's, wrestling's allowed to be fun, like, come on. Yeah. Why does it always have to be so, like, serious business? It doesn't. It I, absolutely it, doesn't. Um, it's like yeah. any, any other kind of, like, big dramatic show, you're going to have moments of just utter silliness and bizarreness or something yeah. to break up the tension. Like, you need that even in wrestling. Yeah. Like, like every every type of match has its place. I've I've got this evil faction for my uh, for my e fed called the Deep, which are all uh, underwater themed bad guys, and it's got this kind of like GI Joe like Cobra kind of feel, and they mm. are led by a wrestler by the name of Sergeant Squid. Nice. And it's just yeah, I mean wrestling is fun and should be fun. So that brings us, you know, we're we're diving in here. World Championship yes. Wrestling, January of 1996. Our first week, WCW Monday Nitro, January 1st, 1996. Nielsen rating, 2.5. Rating compared to WWF Monday Night Raw for that week, 0.1 less. Uh, the venue is the Omni Coliseum in Atlanta, Georgia. And I think that was also like a, like a big arena for WCW. They did a lot at the Omni, I think, uh, venue compared to WWF Monday Night Raw, the bar, uh, the bar, (laughs) the Bob Carpenter Center in Newark, Delaware. Our results, we've got a singles match, Randy Savage defeating Arn Anderson, a singles match, Lord Steven Regal with Jeeves defeating Chris Benoit. A tag team match, uh, Lex Luger and Sting defeating the Super Assassins, which are uh, have the unique names of Super Assassin number one and Super Assassin number two. Fun fact, that was the powers of pain. Uh, Super Assassin number one is the Barbarian, and Super Assassin number two is the Warlord, and they were uh, managed by Colonel Robert Parker in this match. And then your main event for January 1st, 1996 is a singles match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Hulk Hogan defeated the champion Ric Flair by disqualification. So, Leith, what do you remember about this particular broadcast? Um, well, there's there's quite a lot. I mean, there, you have so much going on, like, storyline-wise, and a lot of, like, crossovers with factions and just kind of, like... It seems just chaos at this point. Like, yeah, everyone seems somewhat involved with everyone else on the card to to some degree. Um, fun fun note was that Hank Aaron was in the stands. In yeah, the front row. that was pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. You, you get those uh, random celebs. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's kind of go over 
uh, a little bit about what happened at that particular broadcast. We kind of open, you know, like we normally do on Nitro, where we've got uh, Eric Bischoff, Steve, Mongo McMichael, and Bobby the Brain Heenan opening the show, doing some recaps, mostly talking about Hogan, right? But we do get to see uh, Pepe dressed as Uncle Sam. Always a pleasure. We love Pepe in this house. Uh, there's, uh, during the, uh, Arn and Savage match, you can see that there's a Johnny B. Bad fan contingent in the front row. <laughs> They're all wearing, uh, the I'm a bad man shirt. And there's... I didn't even notice that. Yeah, and there's at least two different Hulk Hogan cosplayers. Oh, goodness. Uh, at some point throughout the match, Bobby calls, uh... Uh, McMichael, Steve, Mongo, McNugget, <laughs> which I love. Uh, it, and you really kind of get the feel like throughout this and just kind of like watching like WCW, like throughout this time period that we've watched so far that somebody along the line told Eric Bischoff that fast commentary was better, but he just fast talks his way through like every match. Mm. And, like, I think he's trying to impart, like, this sense of urgency and, like, importance onto the match, but that doesn't really, like, work when you're doing it, A, for every match. Right. And, B, you're doing it because you're suddenly not talking about Hogan. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, wait, there's a match going on. This opening match was pretty decent there's a lot of ring psychology going yeah. on you had a lot of like like it, it felt like a real fight at times when yeah it's the outside they get brutal with it he's like going after macho's arm mm-hmm. like they they really tried to like they start the show off pretty pretty strong i'd say yeah. for wcw <laughs> yeah and i think i think somebody like arn anderson like there there are Wrestlers who definitely fit that kind of, like, no-nonsense Arn Anderson kind of mold. You know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, FTR now in AEW, and I I think there are definitely some other wrestlers who kind of fit that mold as well. And it's like, you you oftentimes get the the idea that, well, because they're no frills, like, their matches aren't, you know, there's a very specific style to their match and there's not like a whole lot going on with it, but it's like to, to be a wrestler like Arn Anderson, there's actually a lot of psychology involved. Yeah. It's like, you have to, you have to do it right. Otherwise it's going to be boring as heck to watch. Yeah. So it's like, he, he really uses the psychology, uses like the brutality of it. Like, yeah, like it's it's a very subtle type of psychology that somebody right. like Anderson uh, employs. Uh, during the match, Bischoff spoils the Raw Bowl, which we will uh, talk about next week when we uh, when we are covering the World Wrestling Federation. He pretends like he's confused about the name and calls it the Toilet Bowl, but mm, uh, d- yeah, but does congratulate the Smoking Guns, and then. McMichael calls WWF the Kitty Cat League. Okay. Which is, <laughs> I like, I know it's supposed to be some kind of insult, like you're calling them childish or small or whatever, but at the same time, who doesn't like cats? Cats are pretty great. 
And they're good wrestlers too. Yeah. I have I have two two cats that wrestle every day. Yeah. And they're much more vicious than <laughs> some of these wrestlers. And they also employ psychology. Don't don't touch that belly. Whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good way to lose an arm. Yeah. You know, you, if you hear the hiss, you back off. They, they got it down. Yeah. They know, they know when not to take it too far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there, at some point during the match, Heenan says this really odd but pretty cool remark about Arn Anderson. He says Arn Anderson could break every bone in a chicken leg and never touch the skin. And I, I, I don't know what that means. But that sounds cool. Like he just looks at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the Hogan fans that's like cosplaying as Hogan is also dressed in a Superman outfit with like a cardboard guitar. Interesting. When you know, I know, I know, Hogan rightfully gets a lot of lot of guff on this podcast because you know Hulk Hogan's a bad person. But, like, we need more goofy fans like this in attendance. If you're going to go to a wrestling show and be on in the front row or, like, on a camera-facing side. I know for a while they put the, like, they, they, they put a stop to cosplaying fans. Really? Huh. Yeah, they would, like, actually kick people out for doing huh. that. But I don't know if that stopped. But I know for, for a while there they, like, were trying not to let fans in that were dressed up as uh wrestlers that's yeah that's um, i'm not sure what the reasoning was there but that's that's a little strange because that i like i get if they're cosplaying as somebody maybe you don't want like focus on as like a company overall like yeah like when stuff came out about Hulk Hogan being a racist, yeah, maybe you don't want a Hulk Hogan fan like front row in the audience on the hard camera side, right? Mm-hmm. Like that I get. Um, but like cosplaying is cosplaying yep. wrestling fans are fun. Don't, yeah. Don't. don't. Uh, yeah. That's, that's bad. Bad on uh, WWE's part. Um, okay. So the match Ultimately ends, Savage manage, manages to steal the win by using, uh, Arn tries to use the uh, knuckles, and uh, Savage manages to use them instead and gets the win after a ref distraction. I love uh, that the, the faces always sneak to these kind of heel tactics. I love that, like, the knuckles in WCW as a weapon are never even, like, brass knuckles. They're just, like, white. Mm-hmm. That's like you can tell they're not like real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we then move on to our next match. Lord Steven Regal out with Jeeves uh, Bischoff again, burying the rubble and the smoking guns. Uh, Steve uh, McMichael bills this match as the Canadian crippler against the man from great Britain. And this is going to be Canada seceding from great Britain. Uh, they ain't going to be a Commonwealth after this match is over. What? I don't know. <laughs> Was Canada ever a Commonwealth of Great Britain? 
they're they're somehow connected. I know that much. I don't know enough about Canadian history. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is it? A Okay, the original British Commonwealth was founded with the signing of the Balfour Declaration in 1926 and included Australia, Canada, the Irish Free State, New Zealand, Newfoundland, and, of course, the UK. Um, okay. It's still... Uh, I guess it is still a British Commonwealth? I, I think they're connected some, some, I, in some way, shape, or form. I just always thought of Canada as its own country. No. Ah. They don't. They don't get that. Well, kudos on McMichael for knowing that over me, because I was very just confused by that whole statement. Uh, but this is where we get to see Hank Aaron in the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did find it odd that they like threw this match together with these like two heels facing off for some unknown reason. Yeah, um, like it's just like they just keep putting Regal like uh, you test out the new guys. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it's a really good match. Like yeah, it's very and they do a butterfly suplex. Butterfly suplex bleh, at one point. I even have it noted with a smiley face. Uh, the shape Benoit is in at this point is scary. Yeah. Like, he does that stupid diving headbutt. Yeah. Don't do those. Nobody Don't, do those. Nobody do it's those. Completely unnecessary in a stupid move. Your head is not for that. No. That's the dumbest move in wrestling history. Maybe not the dumbest, but it's up there. Yeah. Uh, but Regal winds up getting the win after a missed plancha and... Uh, we have Mean Gene after in the ring with Arn, Benoit, and Pillman. Pillman is in a trench coat for some reason, but he calls Benoit out for losing. And yeah, Pillman's just, like, nuts at this point. Yeah, he calls out Anderson for losing, talks about, like, a hit list, Savage, Hogan, and the Dungeon of Misfit Toys. Uh, Arn kind of gets in his face and tells him to start, like, like quit starting fires. This this isn't going to do anything for us. Like that, those aren't our goals. Um, the Dungeon of Doom comes out. Jimmy Hart kind of holds everybody back, and then we cut to a WCW Saturday Night promo. Uh, we get uh, our Super Assassins versus Lex Luger and Sting match, and as this is all going on, Sergeant Craig Pittman interrupts the broadcast. And Leith, what is Sergeant Craig Pittman looking for? He wants. Mondo to help him? He's, like, looking for a manager. Yes. So he's, like, asking, like, everybody for reasons. Yes. Very weird, like, undercard story that doesn't wind up going anywhere. Yeah, it was just sort of, like, thrown in there. It yeah. didn't... I don't know. They, like, keep trying to find a purpose for him, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we then wind up the, the match against uh, Lex Luger and Sting versus the Super Assassins, actually wins with a really cool double submission finish with the Scorpion Deathlock and the Torture Rack. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I noticed that the crowd still seemed, like, really hyped, even though it was, like, very obviously just kind of like a throwaway match. Yeah. Like, but they're just, like, like this whole storyline of, like, can Sting and Luger, like, team up? Will they get along? Will Luger turn on him? Like, it's still, like, this ongoing thing. Yeah, and this whole this whole time, like... Portions of WCW Nitro, you can tell, still have this very, like, 
southern wrestling booking mentality where it's like most of the TV is supposed to be squash matches. Mm-hmm. The good matches are supposed to be on pay-per-view. Right. Right. It's like they're they're trying like they're starting to kind of get away from that. Right. But it, it's definitely not as bad as it was with like Saturday night where it was like every match was a squash match and it was just kind of yeah. boring. Because it's like Arn Anderson but you, I mean, versus. You're still gonna have them. Yeah, because like Arn Anderson versus Randy Savage, that would be like a WCW Saturday Night main event any other mm-hmm. like time or like you know uh, Benoit versus Regal is a very solid like undercard match. And then you kind of have this, which is, yeah, definitely a very throwaway, like, squash match. Yeah, but uh, it's still, like, it still worked in the story. Yeah. It still helped progress that whole, like, can Luger and Sting get along aspect right. of things. So it was, like, it was, like, almost like a, you can see why they put it in there. Right. Like, it, it exists as a match to, like, further that tension and kind of raise that question without having Sting and Luger go over, like, a team that means anything yet. Right. Yeah. Um, but after that, we get Jimmy Hart out with the Giant, and uh, Jimmy Hart says he's switching gears in WCW, but he'll always be surrounded by winners, baby. Uh, the Giant promo, uh, Giant cuts a promo, and it was barely intelligible. Um, yeah, he. Uh, I got that he's going to try and take down Hogan because Hogan hurt him with a chair, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure why. Like, he hurt me with a chair, so now I'm going to fight him. That yeah. was his feeling, I guess. Uh, but that brings us to our next match, which is Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan. And I noted here that it's wild that Hulk Hogan is supposed to be, like, the ultimate American That's that's been kind of his gimmick since he turned face, like, in the very early 80s, right? Mm-hmm. But he wears red and yellow. Right. And those are, like, technically the colors of, like, you know, the USSR. Well, I always thought of it as, like, because like, he looks like a hot dog. So ketchup it's, like, and ketchup mustard. and mustard. Sure. And that's very all-American. Yeah, okay. Okay. So that's where my brain always went with him. Yeah. Like, hot dog, ketchup, mustard, all-American, ballpark. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> him and a lot of wrestlers from I, his generation really kind of, like, dug their heels into the into the tanning bed thing and just yeah, went little, all out. Very, very hot doggy. Yeah. Um, and also kind of funny, Ric Flair is also wearing red and yellow here during this match. Uh, mind games there. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Hogan controls the bulk of the offense early on. Flair gets an opening and starts working Hogan's left leg. You know, that kind of like typical Flair psychology mentality during a match, like working the leg to set up for the figure four. Uh, Yeah, I will will say that this was um, probably one of the better Hogan matches we'd seen so far. I, it, it seemed like he actually like tried. In this yeah, one. <laughs> and and I think like for all the problems like Hogan has as like a backstage politicker, as a human being, and everything, he did have a decent idea of who he could go out and have a good match with, right? Yeah. Like, that's the whole reason he brought in a whole bunch of his friends from the WWF was because, like, he knew 
that he could potentially draw with them and put on a good match, right? But Hogan is also very much not a week-to-week kind of wrestler. No, he's, I mean, he's old at this point, too. Yeah. Like, he's not a young guy. I mean, yeah. neither is Flair, but Flair is, like, I don't know, like, some other level of crazy. <laughs> that, Cocaine. Like, <laughs> Flair can go forever. Yeah. And then Hogan, not so much. Yeah. But uh, I, it, he did seem to really step it up in, in this particular match yeah. and really try to keep up with Flair, I guess you would say. Yeah. Uh, so Flair ultimately gets the figure four in the middle of the ring. Hogan reverses the figure four in that kind of iconic, like, figure four spot, right? Jimmy Hart comes out. He's got a new suit. Uh, and Hart is distracting Hogan. Hogan hulks up. Hogan nails the big boot and the atomic leg drop, but gets distracted by Jimmy Hart. Anderson comes in the ring with the Nux. And, Leith, you got to be loving all this because this is your typical heel shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anderson, in the ring with the Knuckles, blasts Hogan, but Hogan gets back up, and Hogan gets the Knuckles and hits everyone with the Knuckles before the rest of the four horsemen come out. Then the Giant comes out with a whole, like, bar stool. Yeah, I don't, it just gets, that WCW, like, overbooked, crazy, ridiculous finish, yeah, Yeah, like, you just, yeah, everybody's out, (laughs) yeah, Um, with whatever they can grab, (laughs) yeah, we get uh, Savage coming out to make the save, and then, like you said, we get everybody out, we get, we get the Taskmaster and Zodiac out, um, Zodiac during all this manages to say at least more than two words, more than yes and no, <laughs> um, which is impressive. Um, but the, the whole thing is just a schmoz. Like there's just, you know, shenanigans, chaos, uh, Hogan challenges Flair and Anderson to a tag match against him and Savage. Savage says they're going to trip the light. Fantastic. <laughs> and they've got secret weapons. And my God, do I love Randy Savage on a microphone. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Hulk Hogan says they're going to go to infinity and beyond because Toy Story has just come out. Yeah. <laughs> um, they call they call the four horsemen both the four blind mice, which, okay, that's all right, whatever. But then they call them also the four Shetland ponies. And it's like, yes, that's a better insult. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan kisses the, uh, brass knuckles and puts them in his tights. And I don't know if I would want to kiss those after they've been in both Arn Anderson's tights and yeah. Yeah. Mm, maybe don't put your mouth on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bischoff, uh, to close the show out, then confirms the tag match, uh, you know, for Savage and Hogan versus Anderson and Flair. And then uh, thanks the WCW executive committee for uh, booking that match. And then the show ends in what other way could a WCW show end, but Eric Bischoff and Steve Mongo McMichael bearing the WWF and joking about the Vince McMahon steroid trial. Mm, Classic. So Leith, what did you think about this particular episode of WCW Monday Nitro? I mean, it wasn't bad. They're they're definitely progressing storylines. They're they have some decent matches in here. They're it, it's a huge step from where Saturday we started. It. Yeah, like when we started with Saturday Night, and then like 
Here it's like there's an actual like story going on. Like sometimes it's very chaotic because there's just so many factions and groups to kind of keep track of. But right, it's bad, but it's watchable. Yeah, it's it's going somewhere. It's like yeah. it feels like there's like less the matches. The matches are starting to make sense. It's not just like this person's gonna squash this person in yeah. like two seconds there's like actual storytelling happening even in the matches so right. it's like a huge improvement upon what we had seen previously yeah there's there's less matches that feel like they plucked a dad from the audience right, right. yeah yeah <laughs> all right no I, I i completely agree with you this is it's bad but it's watchable and even mm-hmm. when even when it's bad at least like wcw has a solid enough undercard where that can be very entertaining. Yeah, uh, they they have some really really talented wrestlers on their like yeah. in their companies. So it's like you really get to see some really good wrestling at times. Yeah. And then there's just this chaos that happens. Yeah. And it's almost like it almost feels like at times they're sort of taking from the ECW formula mm. with the chaos and the the all the different groups and even like the way they're telling the stories, even though the characters are definitely much more cartoony and ridiculous. Yeah. But it definitely feels like they're kind of looking at what ECW is doing a little bit and maybe. Yeah. Trying to see if they can work with that. Yeah. Like WCW, like the main event feels like you said, very cartoony, very over the top. Mm-hmm. And so that makes a lot of the schmas and the chaos and the shenanigans feel very silly. Like when things happen like in the ECW main event that are similar, it never feels necessarily like over the top so much as it feels like this is this is a story that's on a much more personable level. Yeah, it's know? like ECW like it's like it's always going to end in like some kind of chaotic brawl. Right. Like you're you're prepared for that. You're prepared for everybody coming out just like in WCW, but it's more like it's grounding. It's, it's has a more realistic vibe where yeah. it feels like these people are actually brawling and the fights are more personal and then WCW does like kind of the same thing, but the vibe is more over the top and more yeah. like um unrealistic cuz you have yeah. I mean dungeon of doom like come on because it's like if like, you ha- it's not a very realistic right because because it's like concept. if you had to ask me like what what has been like the most intense feud of like 1995 and going into 1996 like if i had to pick a feud like it's raven versus tommy dreamer right absolutely yeah like that's For such sure. that's such a personable grounded story versus like Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and the Dungeon of Doom and Hulk Hogan's friends and yeah yeah and like it's 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 like they're combining this kind of cartoon formula with like um you know you have like Hogan and friends and the Dungeon of Doom is like the bad guys yeah and then you have like the Four Horsemen who are sort of the more realistic bad guys they're throwing in right. They're like trying to to get to this like next level of realism and and seriousness, but they're not really there yet. And then right. uh, it, it kind of 
they're starting to meld that cartoon formula, like almost like a episode of Masters of the Universe, with like an episode of ECW. Yeah. It's like they're trying to to mess with that whole yeah. vibe and like keep it friendly enough for the families, but make, make it, it intense a enough adult. to be yeah. interesting. Yeah. So that brings like, us to oh sorry go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was say they're in the process of of working some things out. It seems. Yeah, it's it's definitely evolving as we're watching. Mm-hmm. So speaking of which, Leah, that brings us to the next week of. WCW hit us with that. So that would be January 8th, 1996. Uh, Nielsen rating of 2.8 rating compared to WWF Monday night. Raw is 0.2 less uh, venue. This time is in North Charles, the North Charleston Coliseum in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, WWF Monday night. Raw is still at the Bob Carpenter center in Newark, Delaware. We have a singles match with Chris Benoit and Flying Brian accompanying him, defeating Alex Wright. Singles match where Eddie Guerrero defeats Lord Steven Regal with Jeeves. Um, singles match, Sting defeats Diamond Dallas Page. And then your uh, tag team match, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage defeating the Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair. All right. So, Leith... What what do you recall about this particular episode of WCW Monday Nitro? Oh, jeez. Um, I remember uh, it was kind of weirdly disappointed in the, the Regal-Eddie match. Really? I, I thought it was going to be better than it was, I guess. Like, mm. I felt like Regal sold a lot of the Lucha moves very oddly hmm. and maybe a little over the like like his uh, expressions and stuff were almost too over the top for me. And usually like I, I like Regal's like goofiness, but it felt like it was like almost like he didn't know what to do with the the more fast moving Lucha style or something. I don't know. Really? I I yeah, loved I the Guerrero Regal match. It was actually my best match of the month. Yeah, I said it's not. I said it wasn't my favorite of Regal's matches. Huh? Because I just I felt like it was more just the way he sold. Sure. Eddie's moves, okay. like it just something about it just didn't sit right with me. Like it was, mm. like looked a little corny. Something felt off. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe like I don't know. Like he was trying too hard or something. Whereas like the previous match with Benoit was more like. You know, you had the two mat wrestlers, so it's more mm-hmm. his comfort zone and where he could really excel. Yeah. Whereas the Eddie stuff, he just took kind of funny. Okay. At least that's how I felt about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I I really enjoyed it. I like I said, I had this pegged as my match of the month. I I thought it would like I would have put it over the Benoit Regal match personally. Interesting. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it myself. Um, so let's, let's kind of talk about this particular episode. Uh, we open the show again, typical Monday Nitro. Eric, uh, Bischoff reminds us that this is where the first shots of the Civil War were fired. But of course, WCW has its own war. 
and he's talking about tonight's main event, Savage and Hogan versus the Four Horsemen. We do get to see Pepe dressed in a little bomber jacket, uh, which is great. Uh, so many outfits. Right? I love... I, this is... This, to me, is like... more than I do. <laughs> honestly, Pepe is the highlight of WCW Monday Nitro for me, usually. <laughs> like, do I get to see a little dog dressed in an outfit? Yes? Okay, then this is great. I love it. And is he going to be held by a man who's built, like, a brick shithouse? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. You've sold me. Uh, so... They take a moment to bury the WWF like they do. Uh, Alex Wright comes out uh, after Benoit. Benoit, like you mentioned, he's accompanied to the ring by Pillman. And it's a, it's funny at this point because it's like he's very obviously the loose cannon like character, right? Like we've seen this grow and this is, you know, the the character that he is now, right? Like he's not really flying Brian anymore. But, no, he's... I don't know, just chaos. <laughs> yeah, but like it, it's chaos, fu- and it's funny because it's like everybody on the commentary and everything will refer to him as Brian Pillman, right? Mm-hmm. But when he comes out for like a match, he's still the Chiron. The nameplate is still reading Flying Brian. So I just found that kind of interesting. It's like you you have this guy you're investing in as a character, but you're still kind of leaning into this old name. Uh, so getting back to the actual match itself, uh, Bischoff at some point says Chris Benoit has a chin like a 63 Chevy. Okay. Okay. Um, Steve, uh, McMichael starts putting over like all the international talent they have in WCW, which is true. I mean, at this point compared to say like the WWF, they do have a lot more international Mm -hmm. talent. Absolutely. And, And Bischoff follows that up by saying, quote, WCW has introduced more exciting young talent to our sport in the last 90 days than any other organization has in the last two years. And I would say, well, ECW has introduced more more new <laughs> exciting young talent to the sport. We don't mention ECW. They right? don't exist. Um, we just steal their talent and ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Alex Wright gets some momentum. Uh, Benoit eventually gets tossed to the outside, but it's unintentional, so there's not a disqualification because that's one of WCW's most confusing rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bish- yeah, they don't they don't stick to their own rules. It's hard to yeah. follow sometimes. Uh, Bischoff, like, these are the rules, except when we choose for them not to. Yeah, be. yeah, it's it's a rule we have in place for convenient writing and storytelling. It makes it a lot easier. Yes, yeah. Uh, Bischoff talks about how WCW's success can't be imitated and says that Nitro is the most watched wrestling program on Monday nights, and says as a thank you to the fans. They're bringing you the most exciting program for free, referring to the upcoming Clash of Champions. But the other guys, Titanic Sports, you get it? Because sinking ships, right? Nah. Uh, they are raising the price of their pay-per-views and charging fans to have pictures taken with talent and or championship How belts. dare they? Which, I mean, look, if I'm a wrestler and you want to take a picture with me, and it's at, like, an official event, yes. I feel like 
I should charge for that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm at an airport, don't bug me. That's Although me it was time. confusing, um, I think it was uh, Billy Gunn was at a Jakar show way back when, yeah. and he was the only one there charging for pictures. So you could get pictures with all the other talent, but not him unless you paid. That feels very so, on brand for Billy Gunn. It was it's just like one of those like oh yeah, I guess that is a thing people do. <laughs> but yeah. you get like so used to going to indie shows and it's just like oh, you want a picture with me? Sure, why not? Like, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. So it's it was just kind of like oh. Yeah. Charge, huh? <laughs> so I was going to like get a picture to send to my um old boss slash friend who was a big Billy Gunn fan and couldn't be there, but I was like, I'm not going to pay for that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, at least Billy Gunn has a fan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, <laughs> back to the match. It, it gets pretty interesting. Um, Alex Wright winds up trying to take some, some offense to Pillman. Uh, Benoit kind of takes advantage of a lot of the distractions and everything and manages to get uh, a pinfall with a nasty dragon suplex. Uh, It's nice to see um, Alex Wright when he gets to, like, wrestle, wrestle, and not just be, like, pretty boy dancer. Yeah, and dragon suplexes are nasty to, like, begin with. (laughs) And for those, like, who are listening who maybe, like, aren't familiar with what a dragon suplex is, it's a full Nelson suplex. You get somebody in a full Nelson and then completely lift them up and over yourself and hold them there. And it's it's very, I, I can imagine it's a very difficult maneuver to A, pull off, pull off safely, and B, like, hold that bridge. Uh, Bischoff calls it correctly, you know, calls it a dragon suplex, but then like a split second later calls it a German suplex. Weird. Yeah. Uh, we then get our next match, which we, like we discussed, we disagreed a little on. Uh, Lord mm-hmm. Steven Regal out with Jeeves. Uh, Bischoff again says they're often imitated but never duplicated. Eddie Guerrero comes out. Uh, Heenan predicts that uh, Lord Steven Regal and Earl Robert Eaton will win the WCW World Tag Team Championships. Bischoff takes the time to put over uh, Regal's international career. Uh, they start promoting a Mike Ditka interview from uh, recent WCW Saturday Night. Uh, and in that interview, uh, Ditka talks about how he uh, coached Steve Mongo McMichael. So that's interesting, but also kind of, like, weird. Yeah, very random. Yeah. Um, they, uh, you know, Bischoff again kind of promotes uh, Clash of the Champions and calls the upcoming event... Uh, the upcoming WWF event, the Royal Fumble. Ha. Huh? Mm-hmm. But don't bounce. Guerrero wins this match against Regal with a backslide. Uh, we then get uh, Gene interviewing Sting and Luger. And this is uh, before Gene can even interview, like before he even starts the interview, he takes a dig at the WWF new generation. Uh, saying that the new generation has added two stars that are, quote, close to collecting Social Security, end quote. And it's like, boy, Gene, that's rich coming from you guys. 
Right? <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Like, don't get me wrong, and we talked about this on the Royal Rumble episode, but, like, yeah, maybe criticizing WCW for using old stars is, like, maybe kind of a tad hypocritical when you've got Dory Funk out there, <laughs> you know, barely able to stand in the Royal Rumble. But, uh, yeah, uh, he then, uh, you know, Sting and Luger are kind of talking with Gene there, and Sting says he wants to ask Luger some questions. And Luger says, sometimes in the heat of battle, things happen. Uh, and they're, of course, referring to Starcade, where Luger basically cost both of them the match. Uh, because WCW hadn't really kind of, like, mastered the idea of a triple threat yet. Right. And we got that weird triangle match, which is different from a triple threat because it's just two people in the ring and a third person who can be tagged in. Uh, yeah, and Luger talks about how during this he, he was injured and he wanted Sting to help him up, and he says his knee was injured. So I took a minute, like, I, I took a couple minutes to actually re-watch that match, right? To okay. see to see if what Luger is saying adds up. Uh, so yeah, if you go if you're watching Starcade on the network or on well not on the network on Peacock, if you go to about uh, the two hour nine minute fifteen second that's the Peacock timestamp, Flair does use a folding chair on Luger's knees. Hmm. So it does add up, but at the same time it's like. You know, if you if you really, like, wanted to have a shot at this match, you would have let Sting get back in, because then at least you could rest and potentially right. get back in the match at a later time. It's such a weird thing, and I guess, like, part of this is, of course, just to build tension between Luger and Sting. Like, will they get along, you know? And, and Sting kind of, like, begrudgingly trusting Luger. Uh, Luger kind of abruptly uh, changes changes subjects after Gene says Luger's explanation doesn't exactly sound kosher. And Luger's like, eh, let's never mind about that. Sting, uh, you know, why don't we uh, why don't we tag up and uh, let let me prove myself at Clash of the Champions? And uh, yeah, and uh, Sting says he he hasn't really considered a tag team, but he thinks they'd make a pretty damn great tag team. And off they go to the back to discuss things, I guess, you do as a tag team. Uh, they just kind of, yeah. like, ride off into the sunset there. Uh, we get a Good WCW... Times. Yeah. We get, a, we get a WCW Saturday Night promo, Bischoff promising a second part of the Ditka interview, and then we get Sting versus DDP. Uh, throughout the match, um, Mongo keeps trying to say the word discombobulated regarding DDP, <laughs> but he can't quite say it. He's like, this, this Bob combobulated that DDP, and it's like, no, that's, that's not the word. Um... <laughs> But it is a, it is a great match because you get some quality heel antics from DDP, which are a lot of fun. Yeah, um, classic move, yeah. maneuvers, using the ropes for leverage is like mm. part of it, and yeah. using his cigar. Yeah. Uh, before the I think that was before the bell rings. So yeah. You know, he doesn't get 
DQ'd, but... DDP kind of gets control of the match early on, but Sting later explodes with offense. Uh, Sting counters an attempted back suplex into the Scorpion Deathlock. Uh, what's that? You with me, Leah? My, my headset went out for a moment there. Okay. I thought we were on a submarine so I, I for lost, a second. Yeah, I lost sound. Okay. I don't know what happened. Okay. So we were talking about the DDP Sting match. Uh, we mm-hmm. talked about how DDP was in control early on. Sting later explodes with some offense and counters an attempted back suplex into a Scorpion Deathlock. Uh, we then get a promo for the main event, and Bischoff says this is a match that should be on pay-per-view. And then we get another promo for Clash of the Champions. Uh, we cut to uh, Mongo, Bischoff, and Heenan talking about the match. Uh, Flair and Anderson come out, then Hogan and Savage. Savage doesn't quite look right in yellow and red. No, but it, these are tag team. Like, like there's some consistency in the appearance. I, I like when I try to at least be like coherent yeah. to some degree. Yeah, and that's fair. It just makes it. I don't know. It's a. It's a good. It's a good feeling, I guess, to be like, oh yes, they are a tag team. Yeah. At least for this match. <laughs> uh, Bischoff credits Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage with being the reason that WCW is number one, and I feel like that really kind of buries everybody else on the roster. Like, yeah, it's just them. They they do all the work. Never mind Flair, Anderson, Vader up no. until like September. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sting doesn't even exist. Forget Lex it. Lex Luger, Sting. Yeah, like never mind any of those guys. It's all just Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan. Uh. Bischoff talks about how Arn Anderson has become the voice of reason in the Four Horsemen. Uh, before the match can even start, Flair kind of like indicates that he wants Hulk Hogan to begin. Hogan obliges, and Hogan's you know a house of fire right at the beginning. Uh, we later get Savage and Anderson in the ring with some great character work from Savage. Savage has Anderson in an arm wrench and spits at Flair from the center of the ring. You don't see that kind of character work in tag matches anymore. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Savage has control over Anderson. Flair winds up breaking up a pin. Hogan pulls at Flair's trunks. And we get the classic Ric Flair mooning the crowd spot. Uh, We then get Flair and Savage in the ring. Heenan jokes about buying the Miami Dolphins. (laughs) Uh, Why not? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Um, Randy Savage actually winds up getting Ric Flair in the figure four. Uh, we get Hogan and Anderson in the ring. Hogan gets Anderson in a figure four of his own. The holds are released and Anderson nails a DDT on Savage, swinging the moment, uh, the momentum to, uh, Flair's favor. Anderson and Flair keep Savage kind of in their corner. Savage winds up making the hot tag. Hogan hulks up against Anderson, hits the boot and leg drop for the pin. But Pillman and Benoit run down to the ring. We get the Dungeon of Doom. Again, more pandemonium. The Giant attacks Savage and Hogan. I can't believe this ends with everybody coming out of the locker room. Again! Uh, That never happens. Never! 
Uh, we get the giant with two big choke slams to Hogan and Savage, and then Zodiac holding the giant back as as we kind of end the broadcast. So, Leith, what what did you think of this particular episode? I mean, it was. I would say it was fine. It was it's fine. Like just, yeah, it was like it was more of the same kind of like you still get like a little bit more of the story. Um, it didn't build on it quite as much as like the the first one. Yeah, but we're definitely at least forwarding like the the savage or not savage, like really the Hogan versus four horsemen slash Dungeon of Doom stuff. That's kind of like in a holding pattern until like an actual pay-per-view. But we are at least like advancing Sting and Luger. they, They are trying to do some like, you know, like different types of matches with um Flair and Arn and like Hogan and Macho and that, so it's like not the same thing week in and week out. Right. It's like the same people feuding, but in different ways. So right, and you're at least least keeping to that style of uh, booking, which is more interesting than just seeing what would be a pay per view match five times in a row. Right, or like a main event and then a Hogan promo, like a Hogan studio promo to end the broadcast. Right. Yeah. It's it's moving in the right direction still. It's just this one I would say was just like not as it doesn't stand out as much as like the the first one we Mm -hmm. talked about. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the next week. We're now about halfway through the month. We get WCW Monday Nitro, January 15th, 1996. Nielsen rating a 3.5, uh, rating compared to the WWF Monday Night Raw 1.1 more. Uh, the venue is the Knight Center in Miami, Florida, and the venue compared to WWF Monday Night Raw, Bob Carpenter Center, Newark, Delaware. Sounds familiar. Uh, yeah. I feel like they've been there before. Our results include a singles match, Lex Luger defeating Randy Savage, a tag team match, The Public Enemy, uh, Rocco Rock, Johnny Grunge defeating the American Males, uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, and Scotty Riggs. A singles match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, Ric Flair, your champion with Jimmy Hart defeating Sting. And our main event, singles match, Hulk Hogan defeating Ming with Kevin Sullivan. Leith, what, what do you remember about this one? Uh, mostly just the... Um the public enemy like debuting yeah more or less yeah what did is, you think is, of the public enemy debuting i don't know i don't know is is it's like they're tra- still trying to step into the the shoes of ecw it feels like like they're like we'll bring in these guys that can kind of give us a little bit more of that like taste of like the the hardcore stuff that people seem to like mm-hmm I did think it was funny that they they call them bad dudes banned from all Philly arenas. <laughs> I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> right. Um. They they, they kind of fit. They kind of don't. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> it's it's just kind of odd to see them in this kind of setting where everything's so still so cartoony and then there there's cartoony ask in a different way much more violent cartoon i guess you would say mm-hmm. 
but they're mm-hmm. still like they are a little bit more over the top than some of the other like ECW guys. So I could kind of see where they would fit in with WCW currently. Sure, sure, and it helps like flesh out what is already a smaller like division in the tag team division. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, it's... It adds some different styles in there and stuff too. Right, exactly. Like you're introducing a team that can kind of like do a comparable style to the Nasty Boys mm-hmm. and kind of go in there and have, like, a different kind of match than, say, like, the Nasty Boys would have against somebody, say, like, Harlem Heat or the Blue Bloods, that kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that week and see what is um, what is going on for January 15th. So again, we've get, uh, we get our opening Bischoff welcome, welcoming us to the hottest wrestling show on earth. And this week, Pepe's in a little hat and bandana. So cute. Adorable. Uh, Eric Bischoff is promoting sting. We should just put together a collection of Pepe pictures. We should, we Mm -hmm. absolutely should. We'll do people can see what we're talking about. If they're not watching along. Yeah. Like do a do a what is yeah an outfit (laughs) of Pepe's thread on Twitter, Um, so we've got uh, Eric Bischoff promoting Sting versus Ric Flair for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. He does say that uh, after Sting, Randy Savage is considered the number one contender and is owed a rematch. Uh, Bobby Heenan says that uh, Jimmy Hart isn't accompanying Luger to the ring for this uh, match because he's having a private meeting with Ric Flair. Uh, Lex Luger comes out, Randy Savage comes out, Savage gets a chair, like, right away, but, uh, <laughs> the ref gets it away from him, because there, there is, like, a lot of heat between the characters of Lex Luger and Randy Savage at this point, and rightfully so. Savage right. did not trust Luger from the beginning, and Luger proved him right. Mm-hmm. Um, Luger gets control early. Uh, Savage takes, uh, winds up taking control back as the action spills to the outside. Uh, really at this point, it's interesting because Randy Savage is still so incredibly light on his feet at this point. Like the way he goes up and over the top rope at this point is, is something to kind of see, like something to pay attention to for someone, his age and physique and everything. Um, and you could definitely tell that Savage was, like, a world away a better wrestler than Hulk Hogan at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's really, like, he just has full control of, like, every aspect of the ring. Yeah. It's like he's so comfortable and, like, in his element. And you can just, he, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we then have, let's see, Savage missing with the elbow drop. Luger capitalizes and gets uh, his fourth victory. Uh, uh, Luger gets his fourth victory over Savage with the torture rack. Uh, I hate that finish. Yeah. hate it. (laughs) You also don't like Lex Luger. No, but that that, stupid finish. (laughs) (laughs) We then get the Dungeon of Doom out. Uh, the four horsemen are out too. Uh, Brian Pillman is rocking a four horsemen t-shirt that's like cut off, you know, like a little, uh, uh, like a little crop top. 
and uh, jeans, and he's got a cane, and Benoit's in a nice dress shirt, and Arn's in a black suit, and Flair's just in his entrance gear. Uh, Okerlund's in the ring with the two groups, questioning, you know, what's going on, what's happening, what's with all this tension between the, the, the two groups. Uh, Arn Anderson takes this moment to uh, admonish Pillman and says he's told him to dress appropriately. This was supposed to be a business meeting. Uh, Arn talks about how he and Sullivan had a meeting of the minds. Uh, Arn talks about protecting Flair as the World Heavyweight Championship and and obtaining other gold in WCW. Says there is no there's nothing to gain, no profit from battling between themselves. Ooh, little hiccup there. <laughs> uh, Kevin Sullivan takes an opportunity to praise Flair, respects Flair, says at Clash of the Champions, they'll lend the four horsemen the giant. So uh, nice of them. Yeah. Sullivan then pays respect to Arn, but he says he doesn't respect Pillman because he's not horseman material. Mm. Arn then kind of takes a moment to try to smooth things over, but also like stand up for the group. He says before they construed fear for respect, the four horsemen respect the dungeon of doom, but they do not fear them. Pillman gets all excited and pipes in, but Arn slaps him and tells him he told him to keep his mouth shut. Pillman looks irate. Do you remember how he looked at in this mm, segment? Yeah, Liz? it was very, very, um, real. Feeling. Yeah. Like, shut up, you're not my real dad. Yeah, like, oh my gosh. I mean, the slap was so... Palpable. Oh my gosh. Like, just like an insult. Like, yeah. truly. Like, Arn, Arn gets in his face that, and that's says... That's such a good way to, like... Build that character. To, yeah, and to, like, distance th- that group, like... Like, I don't know, like... He's like the the unwanted stepson of the yeah. horseman. Like it's it's such great character work without him even needing to say anything. Mm-hmm. You know, without him needing to do much of anything. Like he just has to look hurt, look irate, and he does. He he nails it. Yeah, and it almost makes you wonder, like how like if that was just like not supposed to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And they just went for that, that real reaction by legitimately slapping him. Yeah, exactly. Without him having prior knowledge to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just, it was very, almost too good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Arn says that this is a business and they'll run it like a business and that these emotional outbursts will stop. And he gives Kevin Sullivan his word. Kevin Sullivan accepts the promise. And then Leith... Hey, Dottie Dottie, we like to party. Mm, yes. Who's it time for? Um, uh, that, that, that group that, uh, used to be in Philly but isn't a lot anymore. Right. That likes yeah, to yeah. hurt people. <laughs> right? Uh, so we get the public enemy out. Uh, <laughs> I have here that the public enemy didn't fit at all in WCW, but after. After what we talked about already, I'm I'm ready to rescind that statement. Um, 
the American males come out to the to the most annoying theme music in all of wrestling. I just said, is it the best theme song or the worst? It's the worst. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, American males get control early. There are actually ECW chants in the audience, which is kind of impressive considering they're in Florida. Right. 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 Um, that ECW has that much of a reach. Although we had seen, you know, in some of our past ECW watching that they had done tours of Florida at this point. Oh, that's true. Um, so there was, uh, yeah. So I'm sure there was some crossover, some familiarity there. Uh, the public enemy really kind of fails to get much offense against the American males, but they managed to steal a victory. Um, the spot looks really slow and clumsy. And then the public enemy attack the American males after the match. They get tables set up and uh, Bagwell gets put through two tables by Johnny Grunge. Yeah, and this is not to keep in mind. This is not something you really see on WCW yeah. like prior to this. So it's kind of they're giving them a giving the audience a taste of what the, the public enemy is really about. <laughs> right. And, like, I mean, the only time we had really seen something like this prior to that was uh, Sabu, who was there for all like of... A yeah. <laughs> like, he was there long enough to have a stick of gum, and that was about it. Not even a cup yeah. of coffee. Like, it, you're right. We You don't really see this in WCW, like, at all. Yeah, this is kind of the, the intro to, hey, this is this is what we do. This is what right. this is about. Um, get ready for some no DQ shenanigans. Right, exactly. Exactly. So that's that was a really interesting match, and you're right, it is something very, very different mm-hmm. uh, than what we had seen in, uh, you know, in WCW up until this point. Right. So, yeah, they're they're branching out to that try grab some of that hardcore audience. Yeah. And try to get some of those those matches going as well. Yeah. It's like they're trying to get as many different match types as they can. Right. Uh so I mean good on them for trying something a little different with a new, you know, a new group. Uh we then get uh Sting versus Rick Flair. Uh, Sting comes out, and really, this should be your main event. This isn't. This is a world heavyweight championship match between arguably the hottest face in the company. Because let's face it, Sting is more over than Hogan at this point. Yeah, he's even. I would say arguably even more over than Macho Man at yeah. this point. And it's I, like every match he comes, like every time he comes out, the crowd like loses it. Right. And it's like, I, I would almost even go so far as to say, like, probably Hogan is like, Hogan is bringing down Savage's sort of like ability to be over just by being associated with him. Yeah, he's he's kind of keeping him to the side yeah it's like you can't be the star yeah like i am savage doesn't really have a chance to kind of do his own thing and get over organically it's always how how is it associated with hulk hogan Mm -hmm. and that's that's unfortunate and randy savage deserved better 
Yep. Uh, I will I will die on that hill. We've talked about that multiple times on this show. Um, I would say for this match, there was a lot of really good um, in match storytelling. Oh yeah. Because yeah, like like neither of these guys could get a submission off, which is kind of their thing, and they're like trying. They have to use pretty much everything in their arsenal to to try and beat each other because it's like they're they're almost so evenly matched with their styles that they're like okay what what else can i do <laughs> yeah and it, it is it is a really great match i mean it's there's such good solid back and forth sting and flair i mean by this point even know how to have a good match with one another and it's such quintessential mm-hmm. like world championship wrestling and it really is wild that the entire card is shifted down for hulk hogan yeah, uh, yeah. This should have been. This, I mean, this is just a really, really solid match overall. Yeah. Um, you have like Flair cheating every chance he gets. Yeah. We Sting get the doing the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, we get the classic like Flair mooning the crowd spot too. Um, but we also get Steve Mongo McMichael with the line of the night, maybe my favorite line on commentary during the whole month. So there's a at some point there's a superplex, and Mongo says. Anything that gets that up that high in the air, you ought to get some peanuts and a drink. Thank you, Steve. I love you. Never change. Actually, our thoughts and prayers go out to the family of Steve Mongo McMichael. He is having a very rough time as of late, so we certainly uh, wish his family the best through all that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it is such a good match. Um, we wind up getting Sting taking control in the corner. Jimmy Hart gets on the apron. Uh, seemingly like signaling to Flair to set Sting up to get hit by the megaphone, but Lex Luger comes out. Luger gets on the apron arguing with Hart. And what happens, Leith? Luger screws it all up. Exactly. As always. In the heat of the moment, the, the heat of the moment, what happens? He hits Sting with Hart's megaphone. Yep. Costing Sting the match once again. Again, yeah, once again. And we all just kind of look at the camera and make a collective. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) It's a big, clumsy spot. The timing for it seemed a little off, even for what it was supposed to be. Um, Mm -hmm. After this, Flair manages to get the figure four on Sting, who's pretty much knocked out and wins the match. Uh, Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan come out, stings back on his feet. He has no idea what happens. Yeah. Uh, his lights have been completely knocked out. Hogan and Savage are pleading with Sting about what happened, trying to tell him, saying that They're Luger like, cost Luger him a match. Luger bad. <laughs> yes, Luger bad. <laughs> Luger untrustworthy. Yeah. And um, Sting just like, huh? I don't <laughs> like, know what, do about what happened. <laughs> Uh, like, I don't believe you guys. He would never. <laughs> yeah. Like, ah, Sting, you crazy goof. <laughs> you big dummy. <laughs> and then Sting has the nerve to be like, "Well, I don't, I don't believe what happened, and I'm going to go ask Luger directly." And it's like, "What are these guys telling you? Who do you think is like the last person you should ask?" <laughs> oh, poor Sting. <sighs> Uh, he, he, he's, he's just I, the biggest he, dummy. I mean, second chances, yes, but at this point, like, cut the dude off. 
And this is this is the problem with like Sting being booked as a babyface because it's like for for as quintessential WCW like Sting is and how loyal he was to the company and everything, the booking and writing for Sting has never been good in WCW. Like let's no. just let's just say what it is. Like it never was. Like Sting throughout his entire career was made to look like the world's biggest dummy because that was the only plot twist that they could contrive for Sting to get him over as a face. Like Sting's going to have a partner. That partner's going to turn on him. Yeah. And it's like they didn't really it seemed like nobody knew how to book faces like at yeah. all. Like even like like when you like break down like Hogan and Macho Man who are faces half the time they're playing like they're doing stuff that heels would do yeah so it's kind of like do you like Sting is like the only one that they're like I would say Sting and maybe like our Alex Wright who they book very similarly yeah <laughs> it's like those are your two faces that are like truly faces <laughs> it's a very like WCW is a very heel forward company yeah, they do. They do good heels. They do good, like kind of like gray area characters, but like a true like good guy, like face, like Superman kind of. Yeah. Good guy. They can't figure that one out. I guess. Yeah, and it's like for for all the problems that the WWF has at this point, they can at least get that right. Um. You know, you look at guys like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels over in the other company, and they're booking them fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Diesel, to a degree, who, I mean, at this point, you know, we'll see when we cover WWF, he's switching to kind of a tweener role. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, Sting kind of, you know, leaves, saying he's going to confront Luger. And then we've got Hogan arguing with Savage about who should be the number one contender, and Hulk Hogan just sounds like a big old baby. Mm-hmm. Um, Savage says he deserves the championship shot, and Hogan says he has the better chance to win, and sells Savage's arm injury. And it's hard to make Hogan look like a face through all this. Right. Because he really like- does just sound like a baby. Yeah, it's like, you're supposed to be my friend, but I don't want you to have a chance to win it. Yeah, he sounds spoiled. I'm Uh, the winner. Jim Belushi, we get a promo for Jim Belushi, of all people, on WCW Saturday night? Uh, Sure. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Um, We then get our main event, Hulk Hogan versus Ming. Uh, Ming comes out, then Hogan, bell rings, our match starts. Hogan gets out of the ring and gets attacked by Sullivan, and I guess the ref doesn't see it. Uh, Ming takes control and gets the offense early on. There are Hogan chants. It's kind of possible those may have been piped in. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Yeah, it's like sometimes there are things like chants or crowd noises that really kind of don't jive with what you're, you're looking at. <laughs> yeah, with what the crowd is actually doing. So I think it's possible those Hogan fans might have been piped in. Um, and I just, I, I have it noted here, like, how is this the main event and not the World Heavyweight Championship match? Yeah, and it was it was not a very interesting match, and especially following 
the previous matches. Yeah. Kind of like, what's the point of this? <laughs> Leith, what what are your thoughts? Like, do you feel like if you have your main title, is that supposed to be your main event on a show when it's going to have a match involving it? I would say, generally speaking, that would be the case. Um, there would be very rare like instances where maybe that wouldn't be like if there was like a I don't know like a retirement match or like a like a big name coming in that was like a huge surprise or something like there okay. there's reasons why you would put something other than that in the main event um Hogan versus Mang is not one of those reasons Yeah and I think like, I think that just doesn't it doesn't do anything for the story it doesn't really yeah. help anything like it just uh, didn't make any sense to me that like it's very bizarre okay i think that's fair i i feel of the mind where it's like i i don't even know that there are any instances where it's like i personally would say like your there are instances where it is appropriate i think like retirement matches or even having a big name come in, like those are definitely important matches and sure pacing a card is um, important to an event itself. But it's like, I still think like if you're trying to sell your main event title as just that the main event, the thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. I feel like that has to be your main event if it's going to be featured in a match. Right. Like if it's like, because basically, it it's, feels more like a guarantee that the person's going to retain the title if it's not the main event. Right. Well, and also, like, it feels like if it's not in the main event, like it is here, you know, where you're putting Hogan versus Ming over that in the main event, like, it feels like it devalues the championship. Mm-hmm. Like, you're telling me this match between Hulk Hogan and... Sure, probably, arguably, the toughest goon in the Dungeon of Doom, and maybe even in WCW, but, like, a goon, right? Like, you're telling me that is more important than a championship match. Like, for the championship. The championship that Hogan himself is trying to win. Um, So, yeah, I, I definitely feel like, in an instance like this, it devalues that championship. Uh, yeah, it's just, this is not, like, it's just Hogan being like, I need to be the main event, yeah. is what it feels like. And I'm the most important part of this show. Yeah, and to his credit, we don't know if that was Hogan making that call, or if that was somebody else making that call, right? Right. Because, I mean, it very well could have been somebody like Bischoff trying to hedge their bets, like, we are relying on Hulk Hogan for our survival and success as a company. So we have to put him in the main event. Right. So it, it very well could have been something where it's like, I will say in fairness to Hogan, we don't know that that was his decision, but yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely get where you're coming from. The optics don't look good for it. Certainly. Yeah. That's just, that's just the feeling you get from it is that Hogan is more important than the championship. Yeah. Um, Ming, goes for a diving or falling headbutt. And let's face it, maybe Ming is kind of like the only person who can, who should maybe do that kind of move. Cause he's Ming. Yeah. 
I still um, don't like it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm also not going to be the one to tell Ming he can't do something. Right. Uh, Hogan <laughs> takes advantage of the opening. Uh, Savage comes out and helps Hogan steal the victory with Ming's own golden spike. And uh, we end the show in the commentary booth. So, Leith, this uh, this midway point throughout January, what, what are you thinking? What did you think of this particular episode? Uh, some of the pacing was odd, but I mean, you're you're introducing some new people, you're continuing storylines again. Um, but yeah, some of it seemed a bit off. Okay. Okay. I think I think just having like Hogan in the main event was kind of like weird. Yeah. Okay. Like that threw me a little bit. But it's like you kind of see where they're going, mm-hmm. see what they're building to to some degree. Sure. Like, I guess they're trying to show that they're continuing, like, oh, the, you know, Dungeon of Doom is still a big part of this whole story as well. Right, right, of course. But, again, it didn't need to be the main event. Right. They they could have done that at another point, but... Sure. And I think any time we get to see a Ming match, that's fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's... Is it kind of a typical Hogan match? Sure, but, I mean... It's against Ming, and Ming is always a treat. So, Leith, that brings us to our next week. Hit us with with our next week of of Monday Nitro. Yep, we got January 22nd, 1996, with a Nielsen rating of 2.7. Rating compared to WWF Monday Night Raw is 0.2 less. Um, We are now at Caesars Palace. In Las Vegas, Nevada. Woo-hoo! Yes, that's Caesar's Palace. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to the one, say, I don't know, in Newark, Delaware. Right, right. Then <laughs> uh, you compared to WWF Monday Night Raw, they finally moved. <laughs> They're in the Stockton Civic Auditorium in Stockton, California. You have a singles match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, Randy Savage with woman and other ladies, right? I think they came down to the ring, but I don't know that they were, like... They didn't stay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He defeated Ric Flair, who is the champion. Um, Ric Flair had Jimmy Hart by his side, of course. Uh, Singles match, Flying Brian defeating Dean Malenko. Tag team match for the WCW World Tag Team Championship. She had Lex Luger and Sting defeating the Harlem Heat, Booker T, and Stevie Ray, who are the champions. All right. So, Leith, uh, what do you recall about this particular episode of Monday Nitro? Well, you get woman. You get the, the uh, reunion of Miss Elizabeth and Macho Man. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, for me, that's a big deal. Because it's like, hey, there's actually women anywhere on the card. <laughs> Right? I don't know. I don't <laughs> they know, Liz. be walking down <laughs> I, with the other wrestlers, but still, they're there. I don't know, Liz. I don't know what you're talking about. We get a quality storyline that has been building this entire month involving Sister Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker that has not even been mentioned on TV. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> But we will get to see it at Clash to, of the Champions. I, I've tried my best to pretend that never happens. But, yeah, I mean, you get Macho Man, he has this 
whole group of women with him, including woman. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you get Miss Elizabeth. So that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There, ladies do exist. They do. I have Sometimes been. Sometimes they are at wrestling shows. Even. I have been told that women do in fact exist. Yeah, who knew? They are not just a myth created by the liberal media. Women are real. Yeah. They uh, they even they can even walk and uh, stand by the ring. Whoa, whoa, Leah! Let's, <laughs> let's not get crazy here. Uh, are you sure? Uh, yeah, I sometimes they might talk, but probably not. <laughs> I don't know. Women talking. Mm. Uh, they'll wear fancy dresses. Well, okay. <laughs> and uh high heels i guess yeah sure that's the thing heels mm-hmm. these these that's are the these are the things that women are yes if, if we <laughs> if we follow the the rules of wrestling and what we've seen thus far in wcw it, women wear dresses and high heels and walk to rings next to big beefy men and maybe they'll slap somebody. Yeah, but if, you you do also get to see, yeah. To 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 uh, quote Big E, you do also get to see big meaty men slapping meat. True. Yes. That that's probably the most common thing you'll be seeing. That yeah, I mean it is where the big meaty men play. There you go. <laughs> uh, so we open. Our our show, we are in Las Vegas, Nevada, which for some reason my notes auto-corrected to Llamas, Vegas, Nevada. Ooh, I want to go there. Yeah. Gambling with llamas. What's not to love? Uh, you can you can go to the uh, to the Alpacas Palace. And it's just uh, llamas and togas. Uh, so we get That's an interesting to, visual. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, they we talk about Hulk Hogan versus One Man Gang, Flair versus Savage, Sting and Lex Luger versus Harlem Heat, Conan, uh, the ladies. We've got uh, Randy Savage with uh, Woman, and again just a bevy of beautiful women out with him. Uh, Bischoff and Bobby Heenan both point out Woman uh, specifically. Uh, Randy Savage is talking with Gene, and Hogan is out and wishes Randy Savage good luck and challenges him for the title when Savage wins. And it's like, that's what the relationship feels like it should be, not Hogan being a spoiled brat. Right. <laughs> um, but we get Ric Flair out. Flair's got Jimmy Hart, who is uh, most decidedly not a woman. Uh, Bischoff takes this moment to announce that uh, Miss Elizabeth will reunite with Randy Hogan or Randy Hogan, Randy Savage. <laughs> Randy Hogan's a different wrestler. Um, that's the Hulk Hogan we have at home. Miss um, Elizabeth will reunite with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage tomorrow night at Clash of Champions. Uh, he also announces that Kevin Green will be at Clash of Champions behind Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, Ric Flair confronts Woman, and Woman slaps him. And uh, we get 
Randy Savage to the outside. Bischoff and Heenan are putting over the history of Woman and Ric Flair. Yes, because she did manage the Horsemen at one point. She did, and God knows do I love a Ric Flair promo that opens with, Woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? It's just, Ric Flair promos are great. Uh, It's nice to see him get slapped, though. Yeah, it is fun to watch Ric Flair get slapped. Uh, We talk about uh, Heenan's saying he's heard rumors that the Road Warriors are back together. Uh, Bischoff confirms uh, that they are back together and that they are, in fact, going to be at Clash of the Champions. We get Randy Savage with a great backslide against Flair. Flair winds up getting two big diving double axe handles, which is very rare for Flair because anytime Flair goes to the top rope, we get that spot where it's like it's a diving nothing. He jumps Mm -hmm. off and somebody will usually clock him in the midsection. So the fact that he managed to get like two big diving double axe handles here is like a statistical anomaly. It's, it's wild. It's like lightning striking twice in the same place. Uh, Randy Savage makes like he's going to go for the elbow, but Jimmy Hart distracts the ref and Savage goes to get involved. But with the ref's back turn, Arn Anderson comes out and Leith, what happens? We get some schmas, right? Uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just trying to chaos. Yeah. (laughs) Always. Pandemonium. Uh, Flair holds Savage from behind, and Anderson goes for the Nucks, but he hits Flair instead. Savage ducks at the last second, and he hits Flair. Hogan comes out. The bell goes off, almost like the ref called for the DQ because of the Anderson spot, but Savage goes up, hits the diving elbow, and wins, even though the the bell is going off. Yeah, Um, whatever. That's fine. It's fine. No, it's fine. Randy Savage. It it rings before and after, so it's fine. Uh, Randy Savage grabs the mic and cuts the music and we get Mean Gene out and Savage calls out Hogan for celebrating the win like he won it, brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because Hogan's like, I'm the victor. I did this for you. Yeah. Like, you did what? <laughs> never, never mind that, like, Savage would have gotten it anyway because, you know, Anderson hit Flair with the knuckles. Um, Hogan talks about how much he's been looking out for Savage and that he wants a title shot. And Savage says he's got no control over who gets the title shot, but says Hogan gets to the number one. You know, if Hogan does get to the number one spot, he will have a championship match. They say the match has to happen at Caesar's palace. Mm. Uh, And then we get, uh, we get, Flying Brian versus Malenko. Malenko out first. And Pillman has such chaotic punk energy. Yeah, and like, oh my gosh, that's the top with the nipple out for reasons. Just his one one chest has yeah. to breathe, I guess. It's it's I, such this weird, like, I don't know, like it's almost post-apocalyptic. It's... Like he, I don't know, it almost feels like he got drunk, got into a fight at like a bar the night before, and then just came to work in yeah. what he was wearing. And that, <laughs> in the course of that fight, again, just the one 
like area over the one nipple got torn. And now he's just like, this is a fashion statement. It's fine. Yeah. Like, let's just do this. And then, of course, I don't know. I don't think he's wearing them at this point. But the sunglasses he'll get later with, like, the, the like, round metal flip parts. Mm. You know? Like, he has... Yeah, it's like, his character's really switching gears to be, like, just this total off-kilter, wild-card kind of being. Yeah, like, I'll drop a picture if you're not sure what the sunglasses are that I'm talking about. But, like, once you see them, you're like, oh, yeah, those. Like... It's it's such this chaotic, insane, like punk energy. It's almost it's almost got like this Harley Quinn vibe to it. With just yeah. like this sort of very punk like kind of self like self made fashion to it. Love it. I absolutely love it. Um He really does not fit in with the four horsemen, but that's kinda of what makes it work. Yeah. At the same time, like, he's definitely their wild card. Yeah. Uh, like, he's just completely off the wall at this point. Like, the four horsemen are are all business, and Pillman is no business at all. Like, it's, it's great. Um, throughout the match, Brian Pillman, like, there's a point where he is grinding his forearm into the back of Dean Malenko's head and shouting. I'm the shooter. Hmm. And then says it's because he has a full metal jacket. Oh, boy. And again, this is like really just great, great work. Like great character work from Pillman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to see his like evolution from like when he returned at Saturday night to like now where yeah. he like. It's like he has a character. He has a personality. He's really like kind of creating his own vibe. That's one that I think if it was like something that he came out with nowadays, it would almost seem too common because there seems to be a lot of similar gimmicks now. But <laughs> Mox at the, really at the time, it's yeah, he's very much his own. Yeah, like they being. really like. They really tried to, like, I think John Moxley gets a bit of that for his character, and especially, like, before he got to WWE, and, like, in later WWE, like, his later WWE run, there was definitely, like, a Pillman quality to it. But because mm-hmm. this was, like, and this isn't, I don't think this is any fault of, like, uh, Moxley's, but, like, because it was, like, WWE and this they're still very like PG like it winds up falling flat in a lot of instances or or being like instead of having an actual edge to it it comes across as silly yeah and they don't let things build organically a lot of times yeah should be allowed to be it was not like this this version of brian is very organic and that's yeah. why it kind of like works it just was this natural progression of his character exactly and it's like pillman's character has an edge to it right versus like moxley's just being like again like the dean ambrose character being silly yeah whereas like 
previously, like, even, like, when he was, like, on, like, NXT and stuff, they let him be a little more organic, and it worked better. Yeah. But then once they brought him up, they're just like, no, we got to do things this way, and it was just kind of cheesy. Yeah. Like, lunatic fringe, as in, like, Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but it's, it's a really great match. Um, Malenko finally gets control, and uh, Pillman takes control back with a hell of a tornado DDT. And I said here that Brian Pillman versus Chris Jericho could have been a million-dollar feud. Mm, yeah, I could see that. Like, loose cannon Brian Pillman versus, like, Y2J. Chris Jericho, right. like, that would have been money. Because um, they're both just, they're both so good on the mic. Yeah. And the, the clashing of those kind of different energies would have been would have been a lot of fun. Um, I haven't noted here that Bischoff is okay on commentary, but... Not when he's doing, like, the fast commentary thing we talked about. Yeah, like, I can see that. That's when his commentary is at the worst. But when he's doing it, you know, kind of like what, what you had mentioned before, where it's, like, organic, it works better for him. Uh, Pillman winds up getting the win with Malenko's leg caught in the rope. And I haven't noted here that this spot, like, the ref should have been able to see Malenko's leg caught in the rope from the vantage point that he was he, at. He's just momentarily blind, you know. I guess. You know how that happens. Yeah, you know how refs get, like, momentarily blind, but will count like a pin anyway. Yeah, it's a, it's a tragedy among all wrestling referees. They just have spontaneous blindness. Yeah. Um... We get uh, a WCW Saturday Night promo. Harlem Heat come out, and Sting and Lex Luger come out. And this is the only point at this month where they're putting over uh, Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry getting married. Mm, yeah, it's very noticeable that Sherry is gone. <laughs> yeah. She's not coming out with Harlem Heat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do like Sister Sherry. We do. We don't like. We don't like this pr this program. Weird marriage of I harassed and abused you, so now you are mine. And she's like, "Yes, I love it." Because she got hit on the head. That's the important thing. Mm. Le Leah, this is this is sitcom rules. We know if you get hit on the head, you become a different person. Right. 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 It works. Yes. It worked for Fred Flintstone and well, the they, Flintstones. Well, they need to hit her again because then she'll go back to normal. Right, exactly. The thing that's missing here is a second head bump. Yeah. Um, that's the cure, clearly. Uh, but uh, we get uh, we get a Super Brawl promo. Uh, Sting kind of starts the match, and he's a house of fire. Uh, Luger distracts the official. Harlem Heat takes advantage of the distraction. Luger kind of again with these like inopportune distractions with the referee, allowing Harlem Heat to kind of like take advantage. Uh, and again, it's it's kind of building that tension between Luger and Sting. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Harlem Heat gets a big double gourd buster, which is of course a, a front suplex. Um, Booker T misses with a high risk maneuver, uh, maneuver, maneuver. 
Very nice. I can like talk. you're making up your own slang, huh? Yep. Um, Sting gets the hot tag, but the ref didn't see the tag. Oh no! I hate when that happens. So again, that another momentary blindness. Momentary blindness. Blindness. Uh, Jimmy Hart comes out. Uh, Jimmy Hart hands Luger something, and Sting misses all of this. Luger gets tagged in and decks Harlem Heat with a fistful of silver dollars. So, so weird. And it's like, this is like Mario getting hit or Sonic getting hit. Just the the coins everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then One Man Gang comes out. And Hulk Hogan comes out. And this is our, uh, I guess this was an actual, this was supposed to be like an actual match. But there's not really anything that happens um, because Hogan wins, but then we get a whole lot of schmas over the whole thing. Uh, I guess I forgot to include this match on our results, so that's on me, but yeah. um, But yeah. I didn't realize. (laughs) It's, there's a lot. It's almost like not a match. Yeah, it's it's not even, there's almost nothing to it. Uh, because it's it's over very quickly, and then the... Yeah, it's just like, all I have noted is, 400 pounds of man, Hogan wins. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's it. 400 pounds of... Oh, and Hogan's won. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we get the whole Dungeon of Doom out, we get the whole Four Horsemen out, uh, and Pillman seems to be, like, the only one encouraging the Giant to take Savage and Hogan on tonight. Anderson and Sullivan and everybody else are telling Pillman no tomorrow night, and it's like this really weird, like the 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 veneer on the Saturday morning cartoon formula is kind of like wearing off because you're seeing somebody being like, "No, go and get them now. We have an opportunity now. Go and do it." No, we have to wait till tomorrow. Why? <laughs> Who said? Um, and uh, Gene is out talking with uh. Savage and Hogan as everybody, the heels kind of filter back to the back. Uh, and the secret weapons, the, the cat is out of the bag. Secret weapons are Miss Elizabeth and Kevin Green. And uh, we get to, we close the show, we get to see Pepe in a little tuxedo and hat. He looks like a little chihuahua version of Slash. Lovely. Lovely. So, Leith, what did you think of this uh, episode of Monday Nitro? Uh it had some, I would say, more humorous moments, I guess. Unintentionally, you think? Most likely. Yeah. yeah. Like, the the money spot was very silly. I remember seeing, like, money getting knocked out of uh, Harlem Heat as well. I think he lost some of the money out of his pockets during the one move. In addition to the silver dollars. Yeah. It's just a very... Very, some very strange moments. Yeah. Yeah, a little, little off-kilter, I would say. Yeah, but fun for a WCW Nitro. Yeah, entertaining, but maybe not in the way they intend it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun, though. Uh, so that brings us to WCW Clash of the Champions 32, or... XXXII, January 23rd, 1996. Uh, Nielsen rating of 4.5. Our venue, Caesars Palace, Las Vegas, Nevada. Venue compared to 
the WWF Royal Rumble 1996. That was in the Selland Arena in Selland, California. If you want to hear us uh, cover this long form, go back and uh, join us for the watch along. Uh, that's the uh, last episode prior to this. That was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun watching that. Uh, and again, really, it's kind of hard to compare this to the Royal Rumble because this is not an actual pay-per-view event. This is a uh, a free TV event. Uh, but our results, uh, tag team match, the public enemy, Rocco Rock, Johnny Grunge versus the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags ends in a double disqualification. Singles match, Dean Malenko defeats Alex Wright. Uh, eh. Singles match, <laughs> Dean Malenko defeats Alex Wright. Uh, singles match, Flying Brian defeats Eddie Guerrero. Tag team match for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. Lex Luger and Sting, your champions, defeat the Blue Bloods, Earl Robert Eaton and Lord Steven Regal. Singles match, Conan defeats Psychosis. And main event tag team match, Ric Flair and the Giant with Jimmy Hart defeating Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage with Kevin Green and Miss Elizabeth. Lith... I know we covered this in long form, and folks should definitely go back and listen to that. But what do you remember about Clash of the Champions? Uh, the horror that was the wedding. Yeah, yeah, the wedding. Yeah, I wanted that to never, to never be a part of anything ever. The, okay. the chapel, oh love, and they kept going back to it time and time again, mm-hmm. and it was just like this segment. Just I don't know that it just seemed to drag a bit. Uh, There's a lot of like, where's this person? Oh, why aren't they here yet? Oh, where's this person? (laughs) Why aren't they here yet? Let me ask you this. Do you think for an event being called Clash of the Champions and Mm -hmm. only having one championship match, do you think it lived up to its name? I only have one. It really did only have one, didn't it? It did. We don't even get to see the WCW World Television Championship defended here. I mean, I guess champions are clashing, just not for championships. Yeah, because I'm Randy not... Savage is involved in a match. <laughs> I'm not really sure. It's just, it's, yeah, it's just a name. It has nothing to do with the what's happening. Yeah. I mean, you kind of get a, a women's match sort of <laughs> a little bit of a little bit more so than we've seen in a while i mean it's not really a match so much as it is like a food fight there's you know movement <laughs> two women sort of fighting for reasons okay Okay, I mean, yeah. you had the well. You had the wasn't the Mexican title on the line. Yeah. So I mean, that's a championship. Was that a was that a championship w. match? I, I was believe, it. Sort of. Okay. I kind. I mean, it's the the title. Okay. Like Conan had the title. Okay. Right. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. It's not a WCW championship, but. It's a championship. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't know. I'm pushing it. I'm trying. Yeah. I got nothing. Okay. It, it was entertaining. 
for the most part. Just the wedding was awful and <laughs> should never have been a thing or a storyline. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay. All right. Well, let's move on. So, mm-hmm. Leith, that brings us to our last week of WCW Monday Nitro. Yes. We got January 29th, 1996, with a Nielsen rating of 2.8. Rating compared to WWF Monday Night Raw, 0.4 more. Venue was the Canton Civic Center in Canton, Ohio. Venue compared to WWF Monday Night Raw, Stockton Civic Auditorium in Stockton, California. They kind of, they went right back, didn't they? Mm Mm-hmm. They do that a lot, it seems. Well, and at this point, they're still taping. So Mm -hmm. that's why we're running into a lot of... The same places. Yeah, exactly. And with this being so close to where they had the rumble, like it would make sense um, that they would uh, go back there. Yes. So they have the singles match, Ric Flair with Jimmy Hart defeating Hulk Hogan with Deborah McMichael, Linda Bolea, Miss Elizabeth, and Woman. Just there because um, tag team match, the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk defeat the faces of Fear, the Barbarian and Mang. Singles match, Sister Sherry defeats Medusa. Singles match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, the Giant defeats Randy Savage, uh, who is the champion, of course, with Deborah McMichael, Linda Bolea. I hope I'm saying that right. Miss mm-hmm. Elizabeth and woman. Um by disqualification. Yep, you're saying it right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Lith, what do you remember about this this last week of WCW in January of '96? Uh, well, let's see. It's the most women we've seen in a long time, including a, a women's match. An actual, honest to goodness, women's match that was all of thirty seconds. Nah, something like that. I didn't say it was a long match. But I mean, it existed. It happened. Kudos to Sister Sherry for, like, going out there and doing her thing and everything. I mean, we love and respect Sister Sherry. She's deaf. Well, I mean, before this, before she was really just a manager, she did have an extensive in-ring run. But this is definitely not that that same Sherry. Right. Like, this is... Uh, I mean, she's not even really, I think, wearing ring gear. No, she rarely does. Yeah. Like, Medusa's always ready to to actually have a match. Right. And I, I hate that they didn't use her more. And better. It's like they, yeah, they, they definitely could have had a, a decent women's division if they really wanted to, but they chose not to, so... Mm-hmm. Is what it is. You see, Leith, women are not nearly as important as Hulk Hogan. Well, nobody is. Let's let's face it. He's more important than the the championship, remember? Right, right, exactly. Well, let's kind of dive into into this particular uh, episode of WCW Monday Nitro. We open with our recaps uh, from Clash of the Champions and everything else that's been going on. We get to see Pepe dressed as as a vampire. <laughs> Some reason. Uh, yeah, the outfits don't seem to make 
much sense, but, he's, you know, he's, whatever. He's got a big red collar and a black cape, and I just, I don't know what else he could be, but why a vampire in January, Mongo? Just seemed right. Is this, is, is it the month of vam you wary? I don't, I don't understand. Um... Well, maybe that's just what Pepe wanted to wear that day. Maybe. Maybe that's what Pepe chose. Uh, but uh, we talk about the Road Warriors uh, opening contest. Ric Flair's out with Jimmy Hart. I haven't noted here that Flair looks slim and trim. Both him and Hogan have slimmed down pretty considerably at this point because they're mm-hmm. trying not to be on steroids as much because of the steroid trial. Mm, yes. Um, but, uh, woman in Hulk Hogan's corner and she comes out with Miss Elizabeth. And again, we've got the whole bevy of women out with, uh, with Hogan. Um, the one is, um, his wife. Yeah. Um, I think she was his wife at this time even. Yeah. And as things are kind of getting underway, Bischoff just tries to name every NFL team he can on commentary to make some sort of point about heated rivalries but it's very like it's a very labored like long kind of like way to get to the point he's trying to make um and i haven't noted here that out of wrestlers of his era hogan may have been the least equipped to wrestle on a weekly basis uh yeah i would say so at this especially at this point he's like not physically yeah there like Like, he's fit in one way but not in um cardio capacity yeah like rick flair and randy savage like those dudes adjusted and rick flair especially like he would have already been at this point kind of used to that kind of like schedule because when he was wrestling with the nwa like he was wrestling you know probably 350 nights a year Mm mm-hmm so he was already kind of on that kind of, I guess, like, regimen, that schedule, that kind of, like, physicality, being used to it and everything. Savage, maybe not as much. But, I mean, again, they they kind of adjusted, and Hogan just really didn't. Uh, Hogan never seemed to do anything he didn't feel like he doing. wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, Flair taunts... Sorry, go ahead. No, that's all. Yeah. That's that's Hulk Hogan in a nutshell. It's not going to work for me, brother. Um, Flair taunts the crowd and taunts Elizabeth. We get some shenanigans with Hulk and uh, Jimmy Hart on the outside. Uh, Flair later goes for the figure four. Hogan reverses it. Uh, I haven't noted here, for better or worse, Bischoff just sounds younger on commentary as compared to Vince. And mm. I wonder how much that helped WCW. It's not, it's not like there was a huge age difference between the two of them, but, like, Bischoff at least sounded, like, younger. Uh, we cut back to the match. Hogan's hulking out. He gets the leg drop and goes for the pin, but Jimmy Hart gets the distraction. Hogan disposes of Jimmy Hart, uh, but out comes Arn Anderson, again with the knuckles. Uh turning out to be a pretty uh, reliable weapon for the four horsemen. Uh, Hulk Hogan disposes of Arn. 
Uh, Jimmy Hart gets a hold of Elizabeth on the outside at some point, and Arn Anderson steals her shoe and hands it off to Ric Flair. And Flair... Shoes are dangerous. Heels are a deadly weapon. Flair Mm -hmm. spikes Hogan in the eye with the heel of the shoe, and Flair goes for the pin. To his credit, Hulk Hogan is selling this eye injury like a champ. We get Savage out to check on Hogan. There's blood. And then we cut to a WCW Saturday Night promo. Hooray! <laughs> uh, actually, we get we get, uh, we get get the promise of Ric Flair versus Dean Malenko on, w, uh, on WCW Saturday Night. And that has a lot of promises being a good match. Um, Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, for a Saturday night. Um, Bischoff blows the horn of WCW, calling it the most watched wrestling program in the world. We get the Faces of Fear out, the Road Warriors, and the Road Warriors are in blue, as opposed to like the classic red and black. We get uh, blue and black for the Road Warriors. Yes, um, this would be their Nitro debut. Yep, Nitro debut. Uh, we get a promo for Super Brawl 6 and some LOD chants in the audience. Uh, Bischoff delivering the news that uh, Ric Flair beat Hogan. as like, He's delivering this as though the president has been assassinated. Hmm. Like, that's the tone he takes. He's like, you heard that right, ladies and gentlemen. Ric Flair beat Hulk Hogan. As though you should be remembering exactly where you were the moment you heard it. Mm-hmm. So dramatic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we immediately date this broadcast with an achy, breaky heart reference on commentary. Ugh. Leith, do you remember achy, breaky heart? Ugh, yeah. Yeah, not a Billy Ray Cyrus fan? No, never was. Never was. Not, not a big country fan, sorry. Not a big country music fan. Uh we get uh, Animal in the Ring with Barbarian. Really, this is a match against, like, four of the stiffest workers in all of wrestling. The the Road Warriors against Barbarian and Ming. Like, there are very few things in the world as stiff as this. And normally this is where we would cut in a Blue Chew promo, but we're not that kind of show. Uh we then get Hawk coming off the top rope with his signature clothesline, and he gets the pin. And then we get uh, Mean Gene in the ring with Kevin Sullivan, who's there with uh, Hugh Morris. Leith, how much do you like Hugh Morris? I don't know. I didn't even comment on it. No? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I have, like, nothing in my notes on it. Okay. On him. Sorry. <laughs> uh, he just kind of stands no in the back. Yeah, he he just kind of stands in the background and giggles like an idiot. That's his whole thing. Um, Kevin Sullivan talks about being upset about Arn Anderson and Pillman. Uh, Anderson comes out and is admonishing Pillman, takes off his belt for some tough love. Yeah, that was like, oh my gosh. Like, they're really, they're really doing this, like, father-son kind of weird did you like? Did you find Weird yourself moments. like biting your lip and just kind of like giving him a side glance? Is like, oh, this is. But uh, 
Like, he's a grown-ass man. You're going to get your belt out to, like, spank him? (laughs) Like, what is happening? Well, then that doesn't happen. Leith, what happens? Uh, Kevin Sullivan gets his belt out and, and decides that he's the one that's going to hit Pillman with the belt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris with a sneak attack on Arn Anderson. And Kevin Sullivan then uses Arn Anderson's belt on Pillman on the outside. And Anderson finally gets on the mic and talks about how he wants a match against Sullivan and his stooge. And Pillman says he got him into this mess and he'll get them out of it. So, I mean... Arn's more upset. It's like, he's like, we police our own. Like, if anybody's going to spank Pillman, it's going to be me. Right. Like, don't you, don't you hit my son. I'll hit my son. And boy, does that speak to a very certain portion of the online community that loves Arn Anderson and not necessarily for his wrestling ability. Oh, it's very, very strange. Not that I'm shaming anybody. That's not what this show's about. Uh, but I'm just saying, if you're into Arn Anderson, this is this is kind of a week that you might want to check out. Um, we get another promo for Super Brawl 6, and then we get Sister Sherry in the ring with Gene. We get a recap of Leith, your favorite segment, The Wedding mm-hmm. at the Little Chapel. Things that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> and then Medusa comes off the top rope attacking Sherry from behind, and that's when the bell rings. Uh... Bischoff refers back to Medusa throwing the WWF Women's Championship belt in the trash can. And Sister Sherry gets the win. But then Medusa nails a German suplex and attacks Sherry after the match. Yeah, they just basically beat the hell out of each other for the entire time. And it's not a long segment. It's not a good segment. They even get like a snap suplex on the concrete. And they're just like destroying each other as best they can. Sherry's got no shoes on she's just fighting like heck yeah she's doing all this in a dress and stockings and like kudos to sherry and medusa because it's like this segment isn't bad because of either of them no it's just you don't i mean first of all like are they really supposed to be fighting over colonel robert parker like is that the story here leith are you are you telling me you don't think he he is a handsome gentleman like that's who they're fighting over. <laughs> I like, there's much younger and more handsome and wealthier men in this whole organization, and, and that that's the one that sets them off, really. I mean, if they're gonna, if they have to fight over a guy, first of all, like why that? Why? <laughs> the heart wants what it wants. Ay ay ay. Um, Bischoff takes this whole segment as an opportunity to bury the WWF, saying that Medusa could have taken on the male athletes of the World Wrestling Federation, and uh, that quietly ends that segment. Uh, We then get uh, the Giant out uh, to take on Randy Randy Savage, Um, and of course, during a match between the Giant and Randy Savage, what do we get talked about on commentary? Hulk Hogan. Well, obviously. That's that's all we're talking about. 
Um, Randy Savage comes out with that same, you know, stable of beautiful women. Uh, and Savage gets a sneak attack on the giant with the championship belt. Evett noted here that Randy Savage looks like an actual parrot, but I love it. Hmm. Randy Savage's gear is always on point. Uh, Flair comes out, referee calls for the bell. Uh, we then get uh, Flair attacking Randy Savage with the chair. Giant suplexes Randy Savage onto the championship belt. Uh, giant manhandling Savage repeatedly with like just like rib breakers over the knee. And Ric Flair's directing traffic this whole time. Hulk Hogan comes out with his eye taped up and he's got a chair. And Hogan clears house. We get Flair up in I, the... I had a brief statement that just the, that whole segment reminded me of, like, uh, somebody playing whack-a-mole. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's like very... Hogan's Hogan's chair shots are so bad. And then he's, like, half-blind, so it's, like, that much worse. <laughs> They're so soft. It's just like, I'm touching you with the chair. Like, I wonder he's how not many even... tickets he got. <laughs> yeah, he's not even hitting them with the chair. He's just, like, touching the chair to them. Uh, Which must be nice for them, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we we then get Ric Flair in the commentary booth, and he is coked out of his ever-loving mind. He is mm. insane. Leith, what do you yeah. remember about this bit? Uh, I know he's going to make his bread out of Hogan's bones. Yeah. So that's that's a thing. Uh, Steve, Steve Mongo McMichael is just making faces at the camera at this point. <laughs> like, he's not even trying. He's just like, whatever, I'm just going to make faces at the camera. Yeah, he's just like watching like a the hummingbird or something. Yeah. <laughs> Flair is, there. there's no way cocaine was not involved in this segment. Like, yeah. It was just a, he just had a lot of caffeine. That's all. Yeah. 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 And sugar. A lot of cupcakes back there. Yeah. He a lot of cupcakes and catering. And well, if Ric Flair loves anything, it's cupcakes. Cause boy, howdy, is he on the moon? He is on mm-hmm. another plane of existence, Ric Flair. I just uh, yeah. I it's hard to keep up. Um. I, I I try to quote some of what he was saying, but it was just. Nah. <laughs> it's it Flair at this point has to be careful because he is he is like the Flash in so much that he is vibrating at a frequency that will that will allow him to travel between dimensions. Indeed. All right. So that ends WCW for January 1996. Overall, WCW won just two nights in January of 1996 in the Monday Night War ratings. However, their rating was higher than WWF Monday Night Raw on average. Their average rating for January 1996 is 2.86, which is just 0.2 more than WWF Monday Night Raw. So, Leith, what did you think of January 1996 for World Championship Wrestling? You know, it, it wasn't terrible. There, it was definitely watchable. There were some entertaining moments, some decent matches, and you can definitely tell they're moving in the 
a new direction. They're right. evolving. Everything is kind of growing, and it's like if they could just get away from the Hogan stuff a mm-hmm. bit, it's like it feels like they could have done something really, really interesting. But everything had to be still about Hogan, so it was really annoying <laughs> in yeah. that regard. But if you ignore that, the rest of it's pretty decent. So, Liv, what would you say is your match of the month from World Championship Wrestling? I already stated mine, which is going to be Eddie Guerrero versus Lord Steven Regal with Jeeves. If you had to pick a match of the month, what would you pick for World Goodness. Championship Wrestling? Um, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I didn't. I didn't really specifically have one this time because so many of them ended in such chaos mm-hmm. that it was hard to like count them as like true matches um very rarely a match that has like a definitive ending yeah it was like everything was so so chaotic, chaotic. or or it was like there's a lot of squashes or a lot of ones that you could tell were just kind of like introducing these people to you so it's like obviously they're not gonna win maybe the uh, maybe the conan psychosis match from clash of the champions i'm not sure would you say would you say that that's your match of the month conan versus psychosis uh probably okay probably okay okay it it is hard to pick because there just were so so few true matches Mm -hmm. that were very like definitive and and solid from beginning to end because almost all of them ended in nonsense sure it's like that it's like hard for me to harder for me to pick. Yeah, well, and you you had solid undercard matches, right? You know, like we talked about Eddie Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero versus Lord Steven Regal, Benoit versus Regal, Sting versus DDP, Sting versus Ric Flair. I mean, those were all very solid matches. Um, it's just because they're kind of on the undercard. I mean. They're great matches, and I, I stand by Steve, uh, Lord Steven Regal versus Eddie Guerrero as my match of the month, but it's also like they don't – they're given very little time. Yeah, that's that's the other issue, too, is that, like, like uh, I mean, Regal had – he they keep putting him in matches with, like, some of the younger guys and newer guys, and you know it's going to be solid, mm-hmm. but it's like you don't get very much of it either. Right. right. And just like like with like Sherry and Medusa, it could have been good. I don't know. It was like you got like hardly a match. So it's sort of hard to hard to judge. Yeah. Um, now, looking back, um, uh, checking the Twitter for the show, uh, which is at uh, W.R.E.S.T.L.T.I.M.M.A.C.H. You can also just search the Wrestling Time Machine podcast on Twitter. Um we put out a call saying we would be recording our WCW January 9, 1996 episode today, May 22nd, or excuse me, May 22nd, 2022, uh, for any questions, any thoughts, any memories. Unfortunately, we didn't have any replies, which is fine, but we do encourage everybody, if you like the show, um, to please uh, join us and uh, be a part of the show. I will also take this opportunity to check to see if we got any emails. Let's see here. You can also email the show at the wrestling time machine at gmail.com and we will read your emails live on the show. And let's see here. 
We do not have any emails at this time, again, which is fine, but we encourage everybody, if you enjoy the show, please uh, please take part. We want you to be involved in the show, and we want to hear your thoughts, your memories, your questions. We, w- we absolutely want you to be a part of the show. So with that, I think we can say safely, it has been a show. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Leah, thank you for, for your company as well. Of course. And it's been fun uh, talking about January 1996 for World Championship Wrestling. Our next episode, which we are looking to record on, let's see, Saturday, May 28th. And this should be up by Monday. Uh, This episode you're listening to should be up on Monday, May 23rd. Our next episode that we will be recording on Saturday, May 28th, will be covering the World Wrestling Federation in January of 1996. So we've got the Royal Rumble to look forward to, Diesel versus Bret Hart. A lot of fun there. So we want to thank, again, thank everybody for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful time. Stay safe, and we love you. Bye, everybody. See ya. Gary Young was looking for his long-lost friend. I told him I'd pick him up out here. Kevin Franklin. Where's the dog? I want fifty thousand dollars tomorrow, or you're dead. Was looking to get lost. <laughs> what does he look like, Dad? I don't really know. I haven't seen him in twenty-five years. And thanks to a case of mistaken identity. Hey, Garrett. That's right. It's me. Oh. It's you. They're about to become. <laughs> As close as two friends can be. Gigi's. That's it. That's it. You have changed. Now, I'm home. I'm staying with some family. They think I'm a dentist. He may not speak French. Bonjour, bonjour. Uh, you may not play golf. I look like Fat Albert. Come on, let me wash your balls for you. Now, as long as I have this stick, you won't. Go! This man needs a dentist! Would it be possible for us to see Dr. Bond perform the procedure? Yeah. Huh? You might want to just get washed up. Nurse, would you go get some more topical anesthetic? No. No. But as long as no one catches on. <laughs> Heaven's having the time of Derek's life. He's a nice guy. Uh, he's the genuine article. <laughs> Caravan Pictures presents... You told me he was a stuffed shirt conservative. Oh, not since the accident. Two great white sharks came out of nowhere. Bam! There's a lot you should know about Derek. His eye was on me! His eye was on me! Sinbad. If I was under your hair, I would pull this out. I would go to the natural color. But that's you, baby. Phil Hartman. I often fantasize about being Matlock. In the story of a man who found his place in the world. I'm turning to Mary Poppins out here. By taking somebody else's. I want you to look at my wife. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> You're a lucky man. <laughs> so does that mean you can do something for her? Whoa! House guest. Oh, I... Oh! <laughs> <laughs>